cannot disappear. Maybe hit him high, but what else could he do? He can't disappear. In slow motion, it looks a little bit bad, but accidents happen. They do. He's done his knees. Yeah, he's he's done. Well, this is incredible. Now will come the magic sponge. There it is. No scissors, no tape. Build Just it. a dirty old sponge, and it's worked. The sponge could wipe out a pandemic. It can cure us all. Yes, welcome back to the Magic Sponge Podcast, a miracle cure for all your rugby league injury issues. I'm Brian Sini. You know me as the guy behind NRL Physio on social media. I've got my usual co-host, James. You're in on a Sunday night. It's a pre-season. We're getting pretty, pretty keen for the footy, I imagine. How you going, mate? Brian, I'm doing really well. I've had a difficult adjustment in the last little while. As people would remember, I was off work on parental leave for seven months, so I've had to go back to the physio world, use my brain, been a bit of an adjustment, but looking forward to all things rugby league because I'm back to reality now. So it's it's a bit of tough sledding, but as soon as the footy comes back, things will be looking up for me. Mate, I love it. It's good to have you here on a Sunday and we're, yeah, we're really getting into some good form for 2024 tonight, which will be fun. But uh, look, as is tradition, on our likes and dislikes podcast for the pre-season, we have our special guest. It's our biggest pod of the year. Look, James, you're our super coach expert, but Simo, you might be coming for that title, especially from the draft side of things. Now, look, we might have a few new listeners and they, you know, start to question how good you actually are. Simo, if we've got 45 seconds, let's take everyone back to your debut in 2023 and we'll give the take of all takes. I can't believe I'm going to say it, but I'm going to go with Jermaine Asako. Yeah. <laughs> Pull the ripcord, Simo. Pull the ripcord. Get it. <laughs> Get out! Yeah. Now that I've just lost you with all your listeners, I'm sure I've just you know, never be on the podcast again. I've just gotten rid of everyone. But no, look, literally last pick in your draft. You know, he's a goal kicking winger. He's probably not going to get picked in many leagues at all, to be honest. But I just think the wings his best spot. And in the round seventeen, if you can get a CTW who's literally like a bench player for you, who can kick goals like he can, you know, what I'm goals one is of the he going to be guys. kicking, mate? <laughs> Somehow, I'm only kicking a few field goals just some junk time. I see a glimmer of light where most people don't. So I know that Ozarko Island's, you know, submerged in water, but I'm still on it just. Can't quit him. Simo, look, there was some idiot laughing in the background, doubting the great mighty Dolphins. Like, I don't know who that was, but what a call, mate. You must have been dining out on that all year, I imagine. I hope you got some more gems for, for us this year. Welcome to the show, mate. Yeah, welcome. Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, if you could just send me that as a ringtone, that'd be awesome. <laughs> Appreciate it. Very but, good. Yeah, honestly, you, you you make yeah, you get your takes good, you get your takes bad. That was just a, a lucky one. Broken clocks right twice a day. So, mate, I'll shoot, shoot enough shots. Uh, I'll make sure, especially for uh, especially if James is calling you, mate. You need that one on your ringtone, I think for sure. Uh, but look, guys, as always, this is your one-stop shop for injury analysis in the NRL. We're going to talk injuries and super coach. You know, really, really deeply tonight. Um, we've got me. I'll, I'll definitely take a more sort of injury perspective on a lot of my picks tonight. But we've got Simo and James here to talk both the classic and the draft side as well so we'll literally cover every component that you can think of uh, you guys know why you're here head on, on to, over to patreon if you want more information like this for any patrons listening the injury profiles and for anyone who's considering you know uh, getting on patreon uh, they're going to be on uh, injury profiles going to be on patreon this year they're literally nearly done i've got 
Ponga and Pappenhausen left to do. I left them till last. I just finished Turbo. I left the three big boys till last because they're like a you know a whole session in themselves. So I've only got two to go. So they all going well. Hopefully be out sometime this week. So just five bucks. Patreon.com slash General Physio. Head on over there. But otherwise, let's get in to our likes and dislikes for 2024. I don't know exactly what he's done. I would have thought it was an ankle, but I, I'm just guessing. He shouldn't be out for a long period of time. I mean, I'm, I'm no doctor. We have to wait for the scans, obviously, but that'd be more positive than, than negative. We're going to do it a little bit differently in 2024 this year, Brian and Simon. Last year in 2023, we branded it likes and dislikes. Feels a bit stale, doesn't it? I think we need to spice it up just a little bit. So what we're going to rebrand our super coach likes and dislikes to is we're going to call it froths and fades. So who you're frothing on this year and who are you fading slightly this year? So what we're going to do for the listeners is we're going to go through position by position, talk about a couple of people that we like, a couple that we may be a little bit lower on than consensus and talk through our rationale reasoning for that. Hopefully we find an immortal call like Simon did last year with Jermaine Asago is the wing spot. If anyone was listening and drafted him, probably led to you winning your league. So there's nuggets of gold here on the Magic Sponge. You better listen up and saddle in. First up is the hooking position, Brian. Who do you like this year at the hooker spot? I've still got a Redcliffe Dolphin up in lights there to start off. No surprises. Mate, there's no surprises. I think JMK, he, like a lot of Dolphins, sort of outdid a lot of our expectations last year. And JMK showed some signs towards the end of his Bulldogs sort of career. But, yeah, he was just awesome when he was out there for the Finns last season. Uh, and I think it was pretty well documented, and we spoke about it what seemed like every week uh, during the season last year on the Magic Sponge. He just kept dealing with that shoulder injury over and over and over again. Um, he had limited minutes games and stuff like that. So something simple, you take out his injury-affected games in terms of like the minutes, the reduced minutes, and his super coach average already goes up to 69 from 63. So that's a you know six-point bump already. You're talking about a 10% increase just from that injury side of things. And then how much is, is his performance inhibited by that, you know, by that shoulder. He's playing through it since mid-season. It probably affects his effectiveness in tackles, uh, you know, his ability to sort of push players off, bust through the line, those kind of things. So there's little things here and there. I think his attacking stats were pretty high. So whether they're replicatable or not, yeah, I mean, you guys might be able to talk a bit more to that as our super coach and footy experts, but certainly from an injury perspective, I think uh, JMK, there's some really good signs. And then just a quick one, Coruscant, I think there's been a bit of talk around here and there that he may goal kick. I, like I still think it'll be Aiden Caesar because he's a you know pretty good goal kicker, but yeah, something to keep an eye on. Uh, Simo, how are you? I think you're on the same board, same train as me here, mate, which is always good to see. Yeah. Thanks, mate. It's, um, it would have been nice if I took my own advice on Azarko, just for the record. But um, <laughs> we'll, we'll hang it on, hang it on the pedestal while we can. Um, yeah, look, as for hooker, it's a pretty shallow position. So finding someone who's going to break out is always important. But for me, yeah, I've gone with Jeremy Marshall King as well. Uh, just to reiterate, reiterate what you said there, Brian, sixty-nine average in the games that he played eighty minutes last year, uh, and just just the way he took control of that team, just. Um, sort of having that ownership from dummy half, overriding Sullivan, being that senior player. I think uh, if he can stay fit, he's the number two hooker for mine in Supercoach. So uh, pretty big on the kid. And what about you, James? James? Lucky last of me, I'm going to round it out with someone a little bit deeper. I went 
pretty deep last year with Wade Egan. And I, I'd always try to find someone who I feel like will be sort of like maybe eighth, ninth, tenth overall for draft purposes. So you can sort of roster one and ride them all year. I don't know where he's sort of sliding this year, but Reese Robson, I think he only averaged 55 last year. He only had two tries and two tries this last year, which is down on his average normally. 2022, he averaged 64. I just feel like that's a that's a 10-point swing. He's one of the few guys who plays 80. I just think he gets better than 55. I think you can probably just get a little bit of value there with Reese Robson. I know he's he was a favorite of yours there in 2022, Brian. He seemed to score try after try after try for you week in, week out. So I think he's one that I reckon can outperform where he's currently going. And I don't see any competition for him getting 80 as it stands at the moment, the cows. Probably the big thing with Hooker this year, though, I'll flick to you here, Simon. You'd probably, there's always a value sort of breakout guy. It looks like it's got to be Para and the Dragons this year if you can figure out who plays the minutes, isn't it? Do you reckon they're probably the two teams to keep an eye on? Yeah, I think they probably are. You know, Brendan Hands has probably shown a little bit more for Supercoach uh, at the Eels when he when he has played good minutes, but then he sort of lost his spot there for Lusick later in the year. So I think Hands would be the name if he ends up being the one, but... It could also be just a complete avoid situation. As for other breakout candidates, yeah, I don't mind Jacob Little uh, as a real dart throw, but he'd be a really low-end pick at, at hooker late in the draft. Um, but, yeah, once you wait, get to that point where you're waiting on those guys, you, you're really just playing a waiver wire at that point, really. Yeah, gushy out there, Simon. So back to you, Brian. We're going to look at who you're slightly fading this year. Who are you not as high on as consensus as it stands at the moment? Yeah, mate, I think this is probably where I start to get a little bit controversial because he's cheap, he's, you know, a past, you know, probably just below a gun at the position, but it's Jaden Braley uh, coming off the ACL injury. Look, at his price, especially in Classic, he's definitely a consideration. You have to consider uh, a starting hooker with his pedigree at, I think he's a tick over 300k, which is pretty good. But And, and look, there are components of this that play into his favour in terms of the coming back off, you know, his second ACL reconstruction in the last, I think his last one was 2020. So he's not the kind of player who needs, you know, explosive agility, change of direction, those kind of things. He just needs defensive work, good line speed, acceleration off the mark, those kind of things. So coming back from an ACL injury, you're rarely going to diminish in those kind of acceleration abilities, that kind of thing. I think uh, famously Jacob Little was coming back off an ACL, MCL and PCL and broke his 40-metre uh, time trial spe- or you know personal best uh, like in rehab. So the speed side of things is easy to come back. It's just that, you know, explosive change direction, those kind of things. But mainly what I'm worried about with him is the workload. I think coming off the second ACL injury to the same knee, it's his third major injury in four years because he had that Achilles injury in 2022. So it's it's just very likely to be a gradual build-up to full game time. I can't see them throwing him in the deep end coming off the second ACL injury to that knee. You've got Phoenix Crossland who played lights out at the end of last, year. last year. Oh, right. like fantastic. So I just don't see why the Knights would then go, okay, we need to play Jaden Braley 80 minutes. And the argument is, yeah, if he gets 60 minutes, he's probably still worth it. And I guess so. But to your, you know, you guys spoke about already, if you've got a guy who's going to get 80 minutes in the Parramatta hooker, which it sounds like it is, 
The only reason I'd consider Braley then would be if you're going to run two cheap hookers at the position, which I'm not the biggest fan of if Braley is your other one because I just think it's going to be way too slow a burn. You either want you know points or someone who's going to earn you money quicker. And I just think like he could even start from the bench to start the year. Like yeah, that that's definitely a possibility. And well obviously, especially from a classic perspective, you'll know more by the time you're picking your side, you can change with that. But if you're drafting, I don't know I wouldn't draft him on the assumption that he's going to be starting from the get go. That's kind of my feel with it. I mean, from a draft perspective, Simo, how do you feel about Braley? And then give us your uh your dislike for the hooking position. Yeah, Braley is definitely an interesting one. Uh both Braley's actually because it's always been a bit of a competition over which Braley you prefer. And, you know, last year I was on on Blake Braley as the breakout, but when the games that Jaden was fit, Jaden showed that he's got that more of the pedigree there. I just feel like it's one of these situations where every year I just keep picking the wrong one. And this year's probably going to be no different, really. I think we're all off Jaden Braley. I'm, I'm the same as you guys here. I've gone and switched it back around, have Blake above Jaden. I think that's pretty clear, given that Blake plays 80 minutes even though he hasn't really shown the upside that Jaden does. It's just a bit of a cautious approach, I suppose, with Jaden, um, which makes him hard to draft, makes him really hard to draft, sort of as that back end of the top 10 at the position makes it tough. Um, sort of in and around the guy I'm going to say is my dislike this year and as someone that had a really good year last year, and that's Wade Egan. Uh, I just don't think he can maintain the levels that yeah, I know the Warriors had a great year. All signs point to the Warriors being good again, to be honest. But um, I think with Wade Egan, he's just had a couple of things pop up in his game. Just I don't know. You guys probably better speak to this with the injuries, but it just seems like he goes off a lot. Either HIAs or, or cops a knock easily, uh, which you know you don't really predict that in players. But it's something that I'd be a little bit scared of based on the year that he had just gone. I did note in my in the injury profile when I was doing it for him, mate, that like the contact injuries, and it's a weird place to say, but from the throat up, because he's had like a throat injury, jaw injuries, concussions, like there's been a lot. And so like, as you say, usually contact injuries, I'd probably go, uh, you know, not much, but at some point, is there like a technical issue like in his tackling that he's like, you know, not getting his head in the right spot. He's getting lazy with his feet and putting himself in poor positions. You just don't know. But exactly what you're saying, it's backed up by, if you look at his sort of list of injuries, there is a lot of contact injuries from that kind of, you know, upper chest and up. So there definitely is a pattern there. Yeah, it's it's a tough one. But and also another thing just marking the, in the cross against him is just, the return of Harris Tavita as well, where do they play him? Like the way I see it, I think best case for, for Chanel Harris Tavita is he gets a bench spot. Does he come and give Wade Egan 15 minute spell? And if, and if that knocks him back from an 80 minute player, I don't know. He's going to have to hit a lot of attacking upside that he got last year that I just don't see repeating. So he's someone that I'm ha- I'd be okay to have if I was completely punting on the position, but. Um, definitely not someone that I'm targeting by any means. I think there's big downside in Wade Egan this year. James? Pretty simple one for me. I've gone cheese at the Roosters. I think Connor Watson's back in the fold this year after all of 2023 off. They've got a deep middle forward rotation as well, so I don't think he even spends a lot of time at 13 either. So 
I don't think he's seeing Brennan Smith getting 80 minutes. He, he still might have some attacking upside in him, but I think it's a, just a risky selection at the hooker position when you probably want to bank 80 minutes, something a bit more consistent. The only other thing that I, I'm fading a little bit rather than frothing is, I guess, Abby Coruscant is such a tricky one, Brian, because if he's goal-kicking, you nearly want to have him, but he's got a round one bye. So you can really stitch your team up if you get him in, have to nurse him through round one, and then Aiden Caesar's lining them up and Coruscant's not going 80. I just find getting him in my standard team almost impossible just because of that round one bye for the Tigers because I think he, with the, the split starts of the year as well is going to make it tricky where you've got the teams in Vegas play, then you've got the other teams play. And if Coro's on bye and then he comes out in – you know, round two, and he's not goal kicking, and he might be sharing bench time. You've you've got to flick out of there straight away. So, I think for me, in in the standard one, it's it's either get Jerry Marshall King or get Harry Grant or nothing. I think that's that's the only way you can sort of approach it this year. I think um that'll be the one thing I'd be a little bit cautious of or a little bit skeptical of. We'll go straight on to front row forward next, Brian, and I'll get your take on this. Who are you frothing this year at front row forward? Mate, uh, look, my gun, kind of obvious one, is Payne Haas. We spoke about him, I think, last week or when our last one was. He's played through the last two years, AC joint injuries, an ankle tendon issue. Uh, I think the sky's the limit for him. Like, I think, realistically, he potentially could average up in the 80s, which I think he's done maybe once in his career before. But, yeah, I just think this could be outside of you've got, you know, team perspectives and stuff like that with Flegler leaving and all that kind of stuff. But I think from an injury perspective, there's, there's you know, definitely an argument to start with Haas and, and think that he's going to elevate this season. But my first – I'm cheating this year, boys. I'll, I'll dob myself in. You know, we all probably heard uh, my wonderful injury by the year call with Adam Dewey last year. Didn't go all so well. So I'm going to roll on from that and give three injury by the years this year because why not give people three horrible players that are going to blow up in their faces rather than one? So my first one is Max King. Uh I'm all about him this year. Look, he played through a torn plantar fascia to start the season and was still knocking out an average in the low 60s, which is just crazy. Uh, you know, like play, like guys play through stuff week in, week out, but, you know, plantar fascia issues, that's the, the arch of your foot. That's super painful. That's something that usually will require increased rest, those kind of things. So the fact that you're still knocking out 60s, it's going really, really well. But then the poor bugger, and we all know about the Bulldogs' sort of forwards injuries last year. But then he, had, he got a rib slash sternum fracture. He only missed one week for that. So that's usually at least a three- to four-week injury. We speak about all the time on here how the aggravation, you know, performance risks with those kind of injuries when they're not a fracture, let alone when they are a fracture and you're coming back after a week. Forwards, they're in injury crisis at the dogs. They just had to get anyone out there that they could. He then averaged 43 points per game over that six-week period where he came back immediately after the rib fracture. And then he he just never seemed to get back right, 48 over the rest of the season. So that saw him, his average drop down to 64. Like, I'm on him for a turn 
to an average in the 60s. That's kind of where I sit with him. So I think there's just a lot of reasons there. When I say by the year, injury by the year, what I'm saying is like he's not going to earn the most money or anything like that, but he's someone who, from an injury perspective, I think presents the most value. And he just – he was so affected by injury last year, I think he can really kill it. So, yeah, that's my first one. He, I'm calling him my under-the-radar injury by the year because one of them is super, super obvious, and I think everyone's on him. So I needed an under-the-radar one, and he's definitely mine. Uh, Simo, who are, you, who are you frothing at the front row position, mate? Yeah, that's a very good question, mate. Front row – it's a very interesting position for Supercoach this year because I don't think I've seen it this top-heavy before, just with Tino, Payne Haas, a clear, two clear big dogs, first and second. You've then also got sort of the question marks around of what Ruben Cotter's going to be at, at 13 for the Cowboys. I just feel like, have we seen the real Ruben Cotter last year? He's a pretty disappointing player, albeit... He had some good games here and there, but was relying on tries to sort of keep him afloat. So there's, yeah, finding upside in in the FRF is going to be very, very important if you don't have Haas or Tino, especially in draft. So for me, it's more about finding sort of a hidden gun or someone that's sort of creeping under the radar who is a gun that people don't really value that way. And for me, Mo Fodawaka fits that bill. He's... Someone that's flashed gun status in the past, and I think if you ask the casual fan, they'd know that he's a very good super coach player, but probably not for the same echelon as those sort of Tarpanis, AFBs, those sorts of guys. So for me, I've got him ranked sixth at front row. He copped a minus two in round 23, which really hurt his average. He got a 55 overall, so... Um, I haven't gone and done the maths to figure out what he would have been otherwise, but I dare say he'd be pushing well towards 60 um, if that's you know, minus two turned into sort of a 60-point score. Yeah, I'm pretty big on Mofite. I just think he doesn't get the love that he probably deserves. Um, someone that I think in draft especially you can sort of pounce on the value because he's not going to go to that same – he'll probably go, honestly, two or three rounds after guys like uh, guys like uh, Fanua Blake and that sort of thing. So. Um, Mofot's probably my my gun to try and target later in drafts. What about you there, James? Yeah, I think we spoke about Mofot Awake last week, Brian, didn't we? And I think he was very cold to finish last year. You mentioned the minus two sim. I think there was a couple of other schools in the 30s. He's one of the few front rowers that sees pretty big minutes. I, I think he's a very, very, very solid selection with a bit of upside. He's still young as well. You know, I, I really think, you know, we could see the best of him this year. I'm sort of echoing Brian here. It's a pretty boring take, but... You know, Max King's just the first pick in my team. There's no Ryan Sutton. There's no Tavita Pango Jr. R.O.P. Tavita. He'll, he'll be on my team soon if he signs somewhere. Um, Ray Fatala Mallor has gone to the Dragons. Franklin Pele's gone overseas. Carlo Olapu's had neck surgery. Luke Thompson's gone. Like, who's getting minutes there in the middle for the Bulldogs? I just see Max King as the guy who's going to get pretty big minutes in the middle. I also think Josh Curran probably gets 13. So I think if you're choosing your teams... I think Max King and Josh Curran is just in every setup I've got started off to begin with because I think they're just going to get pretty big minutes. doesn't seem like there's a lot of depth there at the Bulldogs and maybe a cheapie in Teamless Tuesday there to watch out for as well. So I think if you're going to build your teams, you might need to consider a Bulldogs cheapie in, or in your bench spot as well for cash generation purposes. So I think that's the way I'd sort of look at things there for the people that I'm frothing at for front row. What about people that you're slightly fading, Brian? We'll go on to the next one there. At front row, who are you fading slightly this year in 24? 
Yeah, mate. Yeah, as Simo said, it's a bit of a yeah, it's a bit of a weird position this year. I think the obvious one is Adam Fanua Blake. He scored, I think it was eight tries last year um, when I was checking the other day, and I think his previous best he scored four one year, but it's usually like one or two. So I just think eight tries, and he had that many assists as well. Like it just. Um, yeah, I, I just don't see it being repeatable. I'd, I'd love to think it is because I love it when the Warriors are, you know, running strong. But and, and not that I don't – I think the Warriors will be good again this year. I just uh, – relying on a front rower to score eight tries in a season, I just can't do it. So, yeah, I couldn't really find an injury fade for the um, for the front row. So, uh, Simo, I'll throw to you. And once again, we're on the same page, mate. So I'm feeling good. Feeling good tonight. I'm uh, a couple of same pages with the, with the maestro. So – I can't get any better for me. Yeah, mate. I just love following after you because you've got all the stats as well. So it's, it's great. I'll just let you do all the work. It's brilliant. Uh, but look, Fanula Blake, I think just to go on the on what you said about him, just the fact that he's already already announced that he's leaving as well just kind of leaves a sour taste in my mouth. I, he, I just don't know how I would trust Fanula Blake Later on in the season, I, I could picture him to possibly start to look after himself a bit and think about next year. And um, to be honest, he's one of my favourite players to watch for Noah Blake because I think he's one of the most skillful front rowers going around. Big motor, big body, can ball play, hits a good line. You know, he's going to get tries. He obviously won't get eight again, but like you said, I think you pencil him in for probably two or three from from a big man, which is rare to, to be able to do with those sorts of guys. Um, yeah, for me, it's more just a trust factor later in the year and just the regression that comes from eight tries down to even two or three. So, yeah, pretty clear one. And I also didn't have too many others that were glaringly obvious. I think he's sort of the low-hanging fruit this year for the dislikes. Uh, what do you say with yours there, James? Might be a bit unpopular here with you, Brian, especially, but he's he's one who's left the Broncos for the greener pastures there north of the river. Tom Flegler, I was looking into his minutes that he's seen in the last three years, rarely sees over 50. And I guess in the Broncos, you've got big minute guys. His points per minute have barely gone over one. I think last three years, he's been like 1.91. 1. I, I just put my money on Tom Gilbert seeing the big minutes there in the middle. And I'm really, really disappointed that Tom Gilbert's not front row eligible this year. He's only second row eligible, which is an absolute stitch up in my opinion, because if he was front row eligible, he would be straight in my squad. I... I'm just, I just want to see it with Tom Flegel, I suppose, more than um, taking the punt with him in my starting setup. So he's not, you know, priced unreasonably, but I just can't really see myself or see him being someone who gets ma- massive minutes in like the Carrigan, Payne Haas sort of type mould there. I, I think it will be Tom Gilbert with a sort of a deeper rotation there. It might open up later in the year where injuries sort of start to add up there potentially and he sees a bit more. But I, I just I can't really sell myself yet on Tom Flegler there. From your point of view, Brian, how do you think the Dolphins shape up through the middle this year? Who do you reckon is going to get the, the money minutes? Yeah, I think I think Gilbert definitely gets the big minutes of those guys. Like, I, you know, even I saw Jesse Bromwich interview the other day and he was sort of saying Gilbert's like the, the captain in waiting. So, and, and that's, he's there. Like, as soon as he got injured, as much as like Sean O'Sullivan going down and, and there was a few other injuries there, Gilbert going down was massive for the Finns. Like, you could just see that, you know, they were... 
that they weren't the most talented team on paper, but they just had that heart in in some games. And I think losing Gilbert was big. So I think he'll be out there for big minutes. Yeah, look, I agree with you. I love Flegger. I think he's you know a great buy for the Finns. A bit of uh, Homer bias there, but I just from a Super Coach perspective, I think from his pedigree, he'd need to get sixty minutes to return on investment for you. And I just, like I think fifty five is absolutely doable, and sixty is probably ceiling. Uh, but yeah, like for a guy to hit his ceiling to return value for you, I just yeah, look, I'm I'm not rushing out to buy him. Put it that way. That's a fair point there, Brian. Why don't we keep it going with yourself, and we'll go into our second row forwards. Who are you frothing for 2024? Who you like at the second row or the edge position? Yeah, mate, I think like everyone, there's just so many options here at the second row. Look, this is the the boring, you know, obvious injury by the year, and it's Sean Lane. I think um, it's not just me on this train. Obviously, every man needs dog. Go to any super coach page, content creator, whatever. They're all, you know, I think he's probably the highest owned uh, in, on the site at the moment. So just to put in perspective, it's not just the fact that he's down on uh, average from previous years. There is that injury perspective as well because you're just not going to get, I think it's the first time since I tracked injuries from like 2017, there were actually two players last season that suffered three separate major injuries and major injuries being five plus weeks and it was uh, Sean Lane and Corey Oates that kind of stuff just doesn't happen like three separate unrelated injuries so for Lane it was a broken jaw the dislocated elbow and then the hamstring injury so you know that's just rank it's going to destroy anybody's season to miss 15 plus weeks with three different injuries three separate injuries so yeah, he's he's locked and loaded. He's my buy of the year. But as I said, that's not a hot take. So it's not really giving you all that much value. Uh, my other one, I've I've got a couple just to talk about quickly uh, from an injury perspective. Eli Katoa. I think people like I just don't see much hype for him this year, and I think there deserves to be. I think he kind of faded away towards the end of the year, and everyone probably sold him off. So it's just not thinking about him. But if you take out the reduced minutes games after that, or when he suffered the AC joint injury, and then on return from that, and then on his return from a significant eye injury, uh, they sort of eased him back in as well. In healthy games, he averaged 73.3, which is just insane and you know that's his first season in that system you know is he better again with Hughes this year his price is 664 average yeah he's someone who I think if you're going to pay up like we're going to talk about a few sort of higher guys I think there's just so many mid-rangers that you could easily go mid-rangers but if you're going to pay up a little bit uh, I probably wouldn't go as high as some of the other guys which we'll talk about in a second I like Eli Katoa and then the other one is Hylam Lukey I think it's his second season back from an ACL injury uh, if if we get any kind of indication that Luciano Leilua is going to the middle, I'm going to be all over uh, Holland Lukey because I think he's a gun. And if he gets 80 minutes, I think he'll score well. Simo, uh, sorry for stealing a whole bunch of players there, but uh, look, I'm sure you've got multiple players as well at second row forward because there's just so many. Yeah, no, you're welcome, mate. It's um, it's such a deep position to RF that you could pick so many, so many options here. You've got experienced players who are coming back from injury, like you said, with Lane. And you've got the young breed, which I'm going to sort of focus on here a little bit. And my first breakout player at the 2RF um, and my froth is Brendan Piacura for the Bronx. I just – I don't see a scenario where 
this kid's not going to be good in a Bronx team that's going to be dominant. Um, the only thing that's going to stop him is really the minutes, which I honestly am all in about him getting 80. I just think he's taking the left edge that Capewell has, has vacated. Um, that's, to be honest, it's the edge you want. I know Ricky's pretty well cemented on the right-hand side there. Didn't show a lot in the four games that he played 80 minutes last year. He did average 55, but it was it was boosted by a score in the 80s. So um, a couple of games sort of 43 and a 30-odd. So even in even in some circles, there'll be people that go, oh, yeah, Brendan Piakura, where's his upside? Classic owners are probably going to be all over him just at his price point. But uh, even in draft, I think he's a great later mid to late round pick just for the upside alone. He's, he's, he's a young player, but... Just the connection that he's shown um, with Reese Walsh, especially hitting that gap, scored a couple, scored a really nice try uh, off the bench later in the year. So I'm all about Brendan Piakura as someone that just has situation, elite team, elite minutes. I just think the position's great for him, and he's someone that you can get a good value in the draft. That's for sure. Um, my other one, there's a couple of guys you could go with here. I mean, Siwa Long. Is very similar to Piakura, but doesn't have, I guess, the, the solidarity in terms of his minutes. Just because you got Nat Butcher, you got Angus Crichton, or the ghost of Angus Crichton, whatever's going on with him at the moment. But if Siwa Long was locked into the minutes that I think Piakura is locked into, um, I would probably be saying Wong as well. But for me, I'd probably have Piakura slightly ahead just on the on the minutes that I think he'll get. Um, and also the one that James said, I think Josh Curran as well, just going to the Bulldogs, playing 13. Uh, there's a really good interview with Josh Curran with, uh, I think it was with Dean and Kemp on his podcast where he spoke about him him going on the market as a 13. And I think his desire to sort of play that linking role, I think there'll be good minutes there uh, with, like you said, Max King sort of getting big minutes in the middle as well, but not a lot coming off the bench. You sort of got Sam Hughes floating around there with a couple of other middles. But, yeah, a lot of people they've lost, um, especially yeah, Pengai Jr. that you said there, James, um, Luke Thompson and others. So Josh Curran should be in line for sort of 65-ish minutes, I think, and that'll be good enough for him to net you a pretty good return, either a classic or draft. Who's yours there, James? Yeah, I like the current call, I think. History's shown if he gets minutes, he gets big points. Like that's that's all that needs to be said about him. I, on the sort of mid-range sort of train there, I am very, very keen on Ben Turbo this year. He's one of the guys I'm going to plant flag on, so to speak. I just look at the games that he had. There was just flashes there last year where he got decent minutes. He was injury disrupted. He's getting to that point. But at the end of the day, he's Turb Turbovic. Like I just think he put – put good money in there. It's shown that, you know, Jake and Tom are very professional. I think his approach will be the same. It looks like, you know, Josh Schuster is injured again to no one's real surprise. I wouldn't be at all shocked if Ben Turbo gets named on that left edge. And if he's playing left edge, we know that Manly and Tom feast down that side. And if you've got a healthy Tom Trebojevic, you better be starting some boys from the Manly Seagulls, as much as I, I don't have a huge affinity for the Seagulls. But we want to score super coach points. And if Ben Turbo is there, I don't think he probably sees close to 80 without that much competition. 
I think he's as close to a must-have as you, as you need there. The, the other guys I've got in my team as it stands at the moment is Talis Duncan from the Bunnies, depending on what shakes out there with the edge position. Morgan Smithies from the Raiders might be a shake for the 13 spot um, coming over from Super League. And for you, Sim, I'm going to throw one back at you with Angus Crichton. I think me and Brian spoke about him last week and that it's actually a contract year for Angus Crichton. He was lined up to go to the Waratahs, but all that fell apart late in the piece with the rugby CEO getting moved on. I just wonder, it's it's almost, it's it feels bad predicting what Trent Robinson will do because far out he does some wacky things with player selections and bench selections and things like that. But am I living in Disneyland to think that Angus Crichton could be relevant again after a really bizarrely disruptive season last year? I don't know. I, I feel like there's... Am, am I on Osaka Island there? Am I just reading reading from the drinking from the good juice there? I don't know. Yeah, I think you might be giving oh, you, you might be giving Trent Robinson probably too much credit. I really think that he. Mate, if he's you listen to this podcast, to James never gives Trent Robinson credit. So it'd be a first. <laughs> not after what he did at Sam Walker last year, Brian. Not <laughs> not going to forget, forget. Never. <laughs> Sorry, Simo. <laughs> No, it's rose-coloured glasses for sure. I just, I, I don't see a scenario, we don't see it very often at the Roosters where um, a player is is sort of discarded like Angus Crichton somewhat was, take that as you will, but he pretty much was fully discarded if you want to go that far. But um, I would be, I'd be pretty shocked if he was to um, sort of bounce back to the player that he was, I think. As soon as you see see the rumours of him getting shipped away um, to rugby union, I just I, if he does start at twelve or eleven on that edge, he'd be a prime candidate to move mid season somewhere. I think he's um yeah. The Roosters is one of those clubs that once you sort of done the dash, um, I just don't see it happening. He, there's a lure in the name and the value, so I get where you're coming from. It's just one of those ones that. It looks too good to be true, so it's probably not going to ever be. But, um, yeah, that's sort of my take on it. Um, but then again, I'm someone that's sort of all for the youth movement at the Roosters with C.Y. Wong, uh, Terrell May as well, taken over from Maria Hargraves. So there might be a bit of that bias in it for me as well, but... Yeah, that's what and, and to be fair, Simo, as well, I do lean into conspiracy theories quite a lot. My, part of my thinking is, dig Angus Crichton, ride the pine to devalue him so the Roosters could re-sign him for a bargain this year. Is that is that too smooth brain for everyone out there? Am I galaxy braining this one where the Roosters just keep him one of their own for a more reasonable deal by saying, oh, we'll just keep you on the bench this year and you know, we'll get you hungry for this year? Am I Am I overreaching there? You can say yes. You don't have to necessarily. Conspiracy theory all the way, mate. Knock yourself out. We'll go with that one for this season. So we'll keep an eye on Angus Crichton. Brian, for the faves or the people that you slightly dislike, who have you got this year for 2024 in the second row? Spicy one. Look, this was probably the easiest fade that I had in the entire thing, and it's Josh Schuster. Um, You could not have scripted it any better because, as I said, I've been sitting down doing the injury profiles over the last couple of weeks. And I sat down whatever day it was during the week, and I'm like, uh, yep, let's get into Manly's. Uh, wrote up Josh Schuster's. Wasn't very, uh, you know, positive about Schuster's outlook. Pretty much saying, you know, how can you trust him? And especially when you sit down 
and you look at the injuries back to back to back on their own, they're not really probably that big a deal. You know, you've got a minor calf strain here, a syndesmosis injury there, those kind of things. But then you look at the recovery time, the amount of time it took him to return to play, and every single one of them was way longer than it should have been. And every single time it was, oh, he's having conditioning issues, he can't get fit, you know, he's he, he's too heavy, he needs to drop weight, all that kind of stuff. I just, and, and, you know, there's reports again have come out saying, you know, he's looking better than he ever has. We we got that last season. Well, look, we, we had it again last season where we were told. Now, I remember the, the there was a photo of him on the back page of the Daily Telegraph running a hill, and they were saying, you know, in better shape than ever. And how did last year go for him? Again, he had injury issues that took way longer than they should have because of conditioning issues. So... Look, he, he's probably got some of the highest upside of those mid-ranges. Like, we've seen him play a season an average 60-plus when he burst onto the scene and was really, really good. So What a rookie season it was. Yeah, like, like not taking anything away from his upside whatsoever. But, yeah, in terms of the timing, like, I literally sat down, finished that injury profile, and then... I logged on to Twitter and the first... I'm not even kidding. The first tweet was the tweet being like... He hasn't trained in two months. And I know, I think now the coaching, out, yeah. they've come out and said, no, that's not true. He has been doing some training. His fingers just meant that he can't do contact and stuff like that. But now he's got a calf injury and the calf is a classic for him and a classic conditioning injury as well. So it's just, I just don't know how you could trust him. That Like I, I would rather take a punt on so many other guys who, because if, if Schuster has any kind of niggle, don't bother reading my Twitter account to try and figure out how long his recovery time is going to be. Why would you bother? Like, it's almost like it's been a waste of time me tweeting about it over the last couple of years because every single one of those recoveries has blown way out of the usual range. So, yeah, a guy like that I just can't. I I, I wouldn't be touching. Uh, Another obvious one, I think Lemuelu with his knee. He had an MCL and a PCL injury. He's someone I would probably avoid. My spicy one, though, and I wouldn't say this is a fade necessarily but I think when people are talking about guns and and trying to you know should I get this gun should I not get this gun David Fafida is someone who I'm just not super excited about to start the season so I'm going to start with the good for him Uh, so he did play through a knee injury at the back end of last year uh, the final seven games, to be precise, which he then had cleaned up surgically post-season. So if we do our usual comparison pre- and post-injury, and this is pretty exciting, 86 points per game pre-injury and 90 points per game if you take out his start off the bench um, post-origin that he had, you know, everyone blew up. Then post-injury, he only averaged 72 points per game. So, you know, that that's a, that's 14-point difference. So you could theoretically make the argument that Fafita's underpriced heading into 2024, but he had the pec tear. The pec tear 13 weeks out of round one. Look, that's within the usual recovery time, 10 to 14 weeks, but he's returning. We always talk about return to play and return to performance often being different for these longer-term injuries. And I think for a forward who relies a lot on tackling, wrestling, palming off, you know, those kind of things. They're all very peck-heavy sort of motions. So 
it's not that I think he's going to be shit or he's he's not going to do well, but if you're paying that much for someone, I want to be f- relatively confident that the only thing that's going to, you know, not make him return on investment is if he suffers a new injury or if, like, he just somehow loses form out of nowhere and we don't see it coming. It's an anomaly. Because we've got a really good example, like a recent example, Viliami Kikau from last season – he returned at 18 weeks post-injury, so an extra five weeks on what Fafita will have. And he returned at a pretty good level. Like, I think I've got the stats in the injury profiles, but he's pretty close to pre- and post-injury, kind of what he was averaging. It was a disappointing year for him, but in terms of workload and attacking stats and stuff like that. So, like, at 18 weeks, that's pretty much what I would usually expect from someone coming back from a pec injury. Return in that 10 to 14-week range, then build up over, say, a month or so, and then be back to normal at around that 16 to 18 week post injury. Now with Fafita returning at 13 weeks post, you know, he doesn't really have that luxury. Now he's a, you know, a super athlete and he's just, you know, out of this world. But yeah, there's just that little bit of doubt there for me. That's making me lean away from him and go to a gun in another position. Uh, Simo, sorry, I spoke for a long time again, but yeah, what what do you take? Probably my hottest take there. Shoes is an easy one, but how are you feeling from a draft perspective about Fafida on draft day? Yeah, uh, great, great insight there, mate, into Dave Fafida, that's for sure. Um, what I sort of took out from what you said there was, you know, the 72 average coming back from injury and the return to performance I mean, it might be glass half full, but if, if that's the floor for David Fafita, like, sign me up, you know. If he's getting 72 average on a return for, return to play or even what you could say, a bit of a down, downturn in form, he's easy a first-rounder still in my book uh, if that's the worst case with, like you said, 90-point upside uh, potential. So, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, it's definitely for guess, me. For me, classic wise, I think I should. Um, yeah, from a draft perspective, I mean, we all take a longer term view with a lot of players in draft because we okay. all expect that we're going to make the finals because we're all so good at draft. Obviously, so we're like, yeah, how's the guy going to be in the back end, back half of the season? But so, yeah, I, I'm more meant from a classic perspective. I wouldn't be paying up for him because you can always trade him in potentially if he drops a little bit in price. Yeah, oh, it's a great tip for Classic for sure. I mean, it's a bit of a no-brainer really um, given the price that you know, price he's at. So, um, yeah, that's a really good take. I mean, as for shoe stuff, uh, we we always in, in footy, and myself included, we always chase the lightning in the bottle. And how good he was as a rookie, just – he was just like young Felipe Mateo to me. He was just – had nice the off like honestly, yep. Party's another one that's um, yeah, you know, completely had to rebrand his style of play just about in order for it to have longevity. Um, there's sometimes with Cardi Party, especially where he just goes off the cuff, and you see the old Cardi Party come out, the old flick pass yeah. around the around the back, or whatever, and you can tell it's just pure natural talent. But um, yeah, for longevity, it might not be something that you can necessarily replicate year on year. And obviously with Schuster, we all look back to that rookie year where, you know, he was, he was dual eligible in fantasy, as I believe he is again this year, if I'm not mistaken. So, um, like, there could be value there as a 5'8", if all things broke well. But, um, I mean, how many times do we have to get proven wrong with Schuster until we just go, look, 
it was great that one year, but it, it's gone. It's it's gone. It's probably not coming back. I think Schuster's really got to rebrand his game um, in order for him to be able to sort of have a longer term view on things. The the chips and chases that he was trying sort of end of last year for a while there, when he was you know carrying a bit playing six, it was um you know you, you credit him for doing it, but it's also something that you just go. Yeah, these are the sort of things you've got to get out of your game in order, in order to um, be sustainable. But, you know, good team, like you say, uh, on the edge. For everything James said about um, Ben Trevojevic before, I can see the allure of Schuster as everyone does. But I think you outlining to everyone, Brian, um, I guess everything with Schuster in his past, especially, it's um, I think most of us are in that boat where it's like, just prove it to me again before I buy back in. So... Can't really um, begrudge anyone who does that. Um, as for myself and my fade this year, um, it's just someone who I think, I'm just not sure how their style of play fits into what the modern game is. And it's it's Josh King for the Storm. Uh, he's just, for what he is, uh, meat and potato style player, hit-ups, tackles, can play big minutes. He's good for that. I just worry with him. Uh, first of all, it's this lack of attacking upside, um, even though he did hit a couple last year that I just don't see repeating him at all. But the signing of Sean Bloor is sort of a big red flag to me for Josh King. I just get the sense that watching the Melbourne Storm play, Craig Bellamy, one of the best coaches in the game, has clearly identified that for them to beat 60% of the, of the teams in the NRL, they can have Josh King. But for them to go ahead and beat the other 40%, or 30%, um, if they want to beat the Panthers, Broncos, those elite sort of teams defensively, I think they need something different in their 13 big big minutes. Rather than just the big minutes, they need to have some attacking upside, some ball playing that Josh King just doesn't offer. So for me, I can see him playing front row at some point this year. Uh, obviously, 2RF only in fantasy, though, which is really not what you want, a front row playing 2RF. Um, but I just, I just see the, the minutes coming down just a little bit. And if he loses a few of those attacking stats, I just don't see him replicating again. He's someone that is sitting at an average that probably will drop off quite a lot this year. Um, it is an interesting one. It's a risky one just because, you know, Trent Liero, you could say the same thing about. He, he had a bit of an ordinary year last year, I thought, from, from what they would be looking for out of Trent Liero. Just, I don't really sort of say the word plotter because he's a young player, but he, he didn't really have that attacking impetus that I think Bellamy was looking for. So there's a chance that Bloor could take his spot. So sort of one of those two players would be sort of my fade, but Liero's nowhere near as highly or highly averaging as Josh King. So I'm going to go with King um, for that one. Uh, the only other one, just based on age, is sort of Tohu Harris. I mean... You just got to be mindful with these sort of veteran players when they get older in their career. They're going to base well. Tohu's always going to base well playing thirteen for the Warriors. It's just um, the longevity with that with that knee. Um, do they start to look after him a little bit more as the year goes on? He's an old, pretty old player for NRL standards now. So with Kurt Capewell there on one edge, Moroni Akure on the other. You know, Jackson Ford's also got to go somewhere and probably will play in the middle somewhere as well. So it could mean less minutes for Tohu Harris and someone that are probably looking in a different direction or similar players around that 
level. Um, it's crazy to sort of say, but um, I think there'll be a lot of people when they look at pre-draft rankings and things like that, there's guys like Kalamatangi, Olakawatu, in that ilk, where I clearly want those guys above Tohu Harris. Um, yeah, that probably shouldn't be a hot take, but I think for a lot of listeners it might be. So um, that's sort of where I'd be at with Tohu, sort of pushing him bound, down to that sort of ninth or tenth at the 2RF position just for those minutes dropping a bit. Um, what about you there, James? What have you got for your fade? Yeah, Tohu's a good one, mate, because oh, I think last year he was front row forward eligible and I had a choice between him and Payne Haas at the time because I'm pretty similarly priced. I chose Tohu Harris and then he did his MCL and like Payne Haas just went on a tear and I remember just watching it week in, week out with his jersey on and just not being very impressed with my decision-making about that. So that was, that was one where I think Tohu Harris like really, really let me down and, and hopefully he has a bounce-back year for the Warriors over there. For me, for second row, Jack Bird looks like he's going to be playing centers, I think, according to Flanagan, what he said. He was very good when he was getting 80 minutes on the edge last year as center eligible. But I, you know, you want to see the Regan Charity Shield. He didn't look like he was super fit and lean last year, Jack Bird. So if he looks really good, then it might be something you look at. But he's still going to be playing centers as a second row eligible player. You probably don't want it. And the only other one is Kirk Catewell. I think the attacking stats will regress just a little bit. And he's not guaranteed 80 minutes anymore. We've spoken about him. I think he's one that I'd be um, shying away from. Brian, who are you frothing at halfback? We'll move on to another position there. Um, if you could play to choose from here at halfback, who, who do you like so far? Mate, I will try not. Uh, I, for those who are listening, I know there was a couple of Patreon questions about Sammy Walker. He's someone who, yeah, look, I think I was going to leave him to you boys. I know uh, the two biggest fans of Sam Walker, this side of the tweed, I think I'm talking to on the podcast at the moment. So I'll let you boys go there. Any patrons who are listening who want more information, his injury profile will obviously be out this week. Uh, but I'll go SJ. Uh Heart pick, whatever. I don't care. Look, like I'm not. In all honesty, I'm not concerned about the ankle sprain that he's got. Um, you know, it's only a low ankle sprain in nature by all reports. That's nothing to be concerned about. He's going to play the second trial. Even if he didn't play a trial, I think I said the same about Adam Reynolds when Adam Reynolds sort of suffered that injury. I was like, look, these are senior guys. They, they've got you know good spines. They they don't need you know massive preseasons to think that they're going to perform well. Look, with SJ, you've got the usual soft tissue strain concerns from the past few years. They don't go away just because he had, you know, a, a, what should have been a Dally M season, in my opinion. Uh, but, uh, yeah, like, they don't turn me off him. I think he's going to be good again this year. I think the Warriors, you know, they're adding RTS, they're adding Kurt Catewell. That, that that adds to their team once again. CHT's back. So I think there's a lot more balance across the park. So, yeah, I think the Warriors will be good again, and I'm on SJ. Uh, Simo, hit us with uh, start the Sam Walker love. I know you're probably going to keep passing it to, to James, but, uh, yeah, who are, you, who are you frothing at the halfback position? Yeah, look, it's, I mean, a lot of the things with Sam Walker especially, it, I feel like he's just that untapped talent that, a lot of it is just vibe, really. He's shown flashes, flashes for sure. We're about all about it. Yeah, though. he's such a vibe player, Sammy Walker, off the cuff. Everything I said about Schuster, I feel like I'm contradicting myself with Sam Walker here, just because, like you know, you want to capture that lightning in a bottle. It's just that Sam Walker, I just some of the stuff he does, he does it on the reg, and I just go, this kid's a freak. 
uh, sort of the kicking for himself and, and running 40 and scoring when there's no fullback at home, timing it ahead with his left foot just because he can. Like, the kid would be, what, 70 kilos, if that. Like, he's obviously more than that, but, t- like, tiny tiny frame. Um, yeah, I just love the style of the play that he has. And, and I don't take too much away from you, you're going to say here, James, but, um, you know, the Roosters turning it over to Sammy Walker and giving him the keys uh, has to happen sooner rather than later. I think that's blaringly obvious now after watching them the last few seasons. Um, but to go in a different direction and not se- not step on James's toes too much, um, my guy who I'm going to say is my my froth is someone that's definitely not a froth-worthy player, doesn't have the excitement about his game at all. Uh, that is Jamal Fogarty at the Canberra Raiders. Um, look, with Jamal, his style of play and what he's coached to do at Canberra is arguably one of the more boring styles of play in the NRL. Uh, so many times last year, it would just be five up for a kick. It's just hold the ball, play up the forwards. They've got good backs at Canberra with, with Tomoko, obviously having a breakout year last year. But a lot of what Canberra do well is in the middle third of the field. And obviously, Ricky wants them to, to play that sort of possession style of game. With Jack Watton having left Canberra, I can just see Jamal Fogarty being one of those pure accumulators of fantasy points. Just every attacking kick, obviously every goal kick, grubbers, um, bombs, everything is going to run through him. And when you've got someone who has that, whether they are talented or not, not to say Jamal isn't, you don't necessarily have to be that talented if you're getting all the attack run through you. If you're putting up every kick and getting every conversion, um, that is something that is extremely valuable in a halfback. Average 63 in 2022, and I can see him getting back to something around there because he does make a lot of tackles for a halfback. He's a big body, gets in and does the dirty work. So you won't see him do a lot of flary plays by any means. He's not someone that's there uh, on your watchability index as someone on a Saturday you're going, geez, I can't wait to watch Canberra play and, and just grind teams out. But, you know, he'll get, he'll get the points. It doesn't matter if they're, if they're flary or not, they'll be there for him. He's someone that I'm reasonably high on. Like he's not, never going to be someone that you're, you're targeting in a draft, I don't think, because the upside is just not mega in those sorts of players. You're probably never going to have sort of a 70 season in guys like that. But if they can sort of just grind their way to sort of a 60 or even a 65 season, I think that's well and truly within the range of Jamal Fogarty because he's definitely going to have a pretty high floor for a halfback, I think. So... He's someone um, I would be sort of having after any time where Adam Reynolds comes off the board in drafts, I, th- I think I'd have it sort of Sam Walker, Adam Reynolds, and Jamal Fogarty is sort of um, that mid, mid-tier mid of halfback, obviously after Hughes and DCE and Moses and those sorts of guys. Um, but suddenly later in the draft, you, you can sort of get him sixth or seventh at the position. Uh, whether you think Adam Reynolds is um, injury prone or not, it's up to you. Reynolds has just got more upside in him with a 65 average, and he showed that last year. So for me, it's still Reynolds over Fogarty, but I think Fogarty's clearly on that tier as sort of like a a foolproof um, guy you should take at halfback before it gets really dire 
just after him. He's sort of taken a lot more punts. So he'd be the last guy I'd be comfortable with um, as a halfback. And for that reason, he's probably my flame because I think he's pretty safe. Sam Walker, take it away. Yeah, I sort of talk about Sammy Walker ad nauseum here, Brian, don't I, on the Magic Sponge. I talk about him sort of week in, week out, and how I'm in love with him, and I want him in my team at all times and at all costs. I will say this year, I want the asterisks on him. He needs to be goal-kicking, um, and I'm much, much higher on him in draft than I am in standard. In standard, my setup this year is going to be Cleary and Nico at seven because I think – well, what I did last year was I didn't start with Nico and it made him bloody hard to get in after he just went boost, boost, boost to open the season from round four to round six um, or round seven or whatever it was. So for standard purposes, my go is Cleary into Nico. But for Sam Walker, I really want a piece of him for draft because ideally if I can get my hands on one of the big boys at fullback, then I can get Sam Walker sort of maybe three-ish um, at, at draft time, maybe even two. I'm happy to reach there if he's goal-kicking because if he's goal-kicking, the upside's immense there. I don't know if he's going to keep the goal-kicking or not there. I'm not too sure if you have an inside scoop on that or not, Simo. But Sam Walker, I can't remember someone who just got dicked harder last year by um, coaching selections. I really can't. It's just for someone who's demonstrated an insane ability to – Play exceptionally well in a very senior team, play through serious injury as well. We all remember his um, fractured forearm through that um, elimination final as well, Brian, against the Bunnies. I just I just don't know how it didn't work out for him last year, but I think you just go back to the well there this year. You might have just gone one year too early on Sam Walker. So I think I don't want to be without Sam Walker the year he blows up. So for that reason, he's someone that I pump up draft boards. I'm probably happier to take him over even DCE, to be honest, Simo. I'm happy to roll the dice there over DCE, probably even close to Jerome Hughes as well. If he's goal-kicking, I'm probably, I'm probably over there as well because that's just the way I want to do it. So hopefully for this year, it's Sam Walker's year. Hopefully in draft, I can land him in all my teams and just start pumping blokes on the reg. That would be um, my ideal 2024 if it all comes to Pumping blokes on the reg, part of your ideal 2024. Like, you know, the, that's, that's the quotes write themselves. Yeah, that's how we do it, Brian. <laughs> Who do you slightly fade this year, Brian, at the halfback spot? Is there anyone that you don't have any love towards? Mate, this is a tough one. I just um, I tossed up with Adam Reynolds here. I just wonder whether the injuries catch up with him, you know, like uh, an SJ. You know, I'm, I'm saying that I love SJ. Can I say I hate uh, or, or I fade Adam Reynolds? So I, I don't really have too many fades. I'm just going to say Anthony Milford <laughs> just because, like, just get rid of that guy. Like, seriously, he just... He, he is screaming out to go to the Super League. So, yeah, that's that's my entrant. It's a pretty boring one. Simo, I'll throw to you. Just, yeah, I mean, Milford's just got to go. Love it. Absolutely love it. Uh, look, guys who, who wanted to go and then didn't is going to be where I'm going here. Ben Hunt. At the, the fact that he's still at the Dragons when you know, he can say he wants to stay all he wants and everything's all hunky-dory, but... You can't be that far out the door and actually still want to be there. There's just no way. And um, I just look at this Dragons team and I just worry when it gets eight, nine rounds in, Ben Hunt still, you know, origin time's rolling around and he's starting to – he's getting up there in age, Benny Hunt. He's he's on, definitely on the twilight of his career. Body's going to – He's a fit dude, don't get me wrong, but the demands of origin and then back at club footy, uh, 
yeah, he's going to have a lot go through him, just like Fogarty will, but he doesn't kick goals. And um, having watched him closely last year, I think he averaged 58, and he had a pretty good try-scoring year, Ben Hunt. Uh, he, he does score plenty, don't get me wrong, but, I mean, how many tries can you bank the Dragons on the Dragons scoring in 2024? It's, um, it's concerning if the upside's a 58, because I just don't see him doing a lot more than what he did last season and especially if he's not happy being there. It's just someone that I, yeah, he would be after Jamal Fogarty as the next guy um, in that range of sort of back-end halfbacks who you, you're you going to settle for. If if you're in a 10-man league, someone's going to have these guys at halfback, but I'd sort of be doing everything I can to sort of avoid that tier of, of the position if I could help it, that's for sure. Um, yeah, I haven't really got much more to say on I'll be any harder, just... Love the player. Um, you know, the, the chant of Cameron Smith and Dozer just is all time, as any Queenslander would can attest to. But yeah, I just, I, I, he's not for me this year in draft, boys. There's a piece of commentary that will be on my ringtone nearly forever, Simo. Go, Dozer. Just that, that clip, one of the great clips. The only one from a halfback point of view for me, just to jump in there, is DCE. He had two massive scores at the end of the year. I think one was 140, one was 150, I think, in the final round. I think if you're going to start with DCE, you're probably just buying him at an inflated price. I think you probably want to go a little bit higher up to clear in Nico if you possibly can. Um in draft, I think he's probably just going to be a little bit overdrafted. Me personally, I'm probably happy to take Sam Walker there. Again, I'm a bit of a weapon when it comes to that sort of stuff, and I'm extremely biased because I get an erection in my wide front undies when I see Sam Walker's name on the team list. Um, but just DCE, I just can't get behind him at cost as it stands at the moment. He's still a gun, but he's just not probably what I'm shelling out for. Who do you like at 5'8", Brian? What about frothworthy players at 5'8"? You've got a couple of good names here that we can talk about. Yeah, so we spoke about Ezra Mam last week. I think, uh, yeah, same things. You know, he's on the upward trajectory in his career, full stop, but he played through a knee issue for many weeks of last season. So, you know, that it's not something that overly concerns me heading into this season. So if potentially, you know, all of a sudden he's over that and has a healthy year, and that's what we try and assume with guys who, you know, aren't coming into the season with injury concerns, uh, yeah, I think the sky's the limit for Ezra. So I think he's one. The other one, which is, yeah, once again, you're not saying anything super insightful here, but uh, Jaden Campbell, you know, he's back playing fullback. Not that I, I still think AJ Brimson's the best fullback at, the Titans, I think, obviously, for the balance of the team. But, uh, yeah, look, uh, in terms of he did discard his patella, he had surgery. That's a good thing for long-term recovery uh, in terms of re-injury rate anyway. So you're usually looking at like a 30 to 50% re-dislocation rate if you don't have surgery. Uh, but if you do, it's less than 5%. So really good uh, stats in that side of things. The other thing is it's usually a three- to four-month recovery from a surgery like that. He's going to have six and a half months till round one. So that gives him some time to build up performance, take his time with his rehab, those kind of things. Uh, so, yeah, from an injury perspective, I know there's going to be a lot of, once again, super coach creators, people who are all over Jaden Braley because he's a, you know, a, a, a fullback starting it and you can pick him at 5'8", which I'm sure you guys are going to talk about. Uh, but, yeah, from an injury perspective, I like I like him. What about you, Simo? Yeah, you're absolutely right. Jaden Campbell's going to get hyped up like probably not many other players will. I think he's going to be one of those 
players that is almost a lock in every classic team as a bench 5'8", whether you're starting with Munster or Dylan Brown as your sort of big dog there, and Jaden Braley, no, sorry, Jaden Braley, Jaden Campbell um, as your reserve is probably a pretty standard start, I would imagine, in classic circles. As for draft, I mean, there's not a lot of dual position players uh, where you can get fullback playing at a position that's obviously not fullback. I know the hammer this year is dual centre. Stephen Crichton um, is centre only, CTW only. So if he ends up dragging a, a fullback spot, that's pretty big. Uh, but yeah, Jaden Campbell's having that dual 5'8 fullback, playing a fullback in real life at 5'8 is pure gold. I mean, Scotty Drinkwater had that dual two years ago when he really broke out at the Cowboys um, after having a really dominant year last year. So Jaden Cam- uh, yeah, Campbell could um, be another one of those guys that if you play fullback all year, you're probably onto a good thing in the, in the 5'8 position. Um, I guess the hard thing is just the job security is the big issue. Classic's fine. You can, punt, you can put him in there. He might go all right for a few weeks and you just sell him off if he loses his job. Drafts, another kettle of fish because you take him and you, you go elsewhere on in, in, in draft day, you punt on the position and you forget about it. You really need to have a plan in place to go, look, this may not be my long-term 5-8 come round 15, come round 20, come finals time. Obviously, you hope he is, but you can't take it for granted. So something you definitely have to look at in terms of like a high upside 5-8 um, later in the draft, you, you could hopefully could amount to something and win a, win a gig. Um, pairing him with like a Metcalf or something would be great, but I think Metcalf will probably get um, picked as a 5-8 starter anyway. So you're probably looking at someone a little bit lower down um, the draft board. So that's just... Without going too deep, that's just, I guess, something that listeners need to be aware of. Um, if you are big on Jaden Campbell and you are in draft, just um, just be mindful about the job security. Um, my my froth is someone who I was all in on last year and burnt me almost as bad as what Dewey burnt you, Brian. I know you and I had many chats uh, privately because you were Team Dewey, I was Team Burton. They were both touted as really super early draft picks last year. Um, for some people, round one, Brian. Um, Dewey Mate overall in the Invitational Simo. So when I was drunk, all beer. So let's just give myself a little bit of credit there. I know some people who weren't drunk and were also taking in round one. <laughs> but um, Matty Burton was, was my man last year. I was all about him. I thought he had the real-life ability um, new team that was going to be his goal kicking, um, had played for the Blues. I just think, well, I thought anyway, that there was a lot of similarities between Burton and what Nico Hines did when he first moved to Cronulla, just the whole team on his back, goal kicking, everything I just sort of outlined was, was all the things that Hines did well that Burton had in his corner, but obviously didn't amount to anything, Canterbury had a shocking year. Obviously, Burton had a really down year. Not to the point where he was unstartable, but he definitely was extremely underwhelming, uh, very middle of the pack at the position. So for me, I'm going to stick with Burton one more year. It's it's obviously not off last year and what we saw. It's more of a 
it's more of a post type sleeper and and these are sort of players in draft especially that are great to target mostly because everyone's off them and if you stick if you stick fat with them and they break your way you back in a talent and the team gets better like i think we all think canterbury should based on the signings then hopefully he can he can increase super coach wise um it's one of those ones that the team can improve and it can also take away from Burton, especially if Stephen Crichton ends up kicking, which would really suck for him. Um, I could definitely, I think Stephen Crichton versus Matt Burton versus Toby Sexton, figuring out who's going to kick goals in that team is going to be a very uh, real paramount question super coaches are going to have coming into 2024 classic and, uh, and draft. Um, but if it is Burton, it's like James had with the asterisks on Sammy Walker, Burton kicks, I'm pretty keen on him as a mid-tier 5'8 that I'll take and play there and just be happy um, with what he is. I think there's still upside in the kid. So I'll back him in one more year. Who is your froth, JK? Yeah, exactly the same as you guys. I'm sort of just echoing your sentiments there. Jaden Campbell in standard, I think he allows me to start him at 5'8", go big at halfback, go big at fullback. Um, and Harry Grant is probably the way I'm going to roll there. So if I can save money at 5'8", because I don't have any huge loves there apart from Dylan Brown. But I think at price, I probably am just leaning more towards Harry Grant being a bigger difference maker than Dylan Brown is at the 5'8 spot. That's just me personally. I think you can cut it whichever way you want there. And I, I do agree with you about Matt Byrne. I really like him from a draft perspective. The fact he's dual seven as well, I think is really handy. Um, you know, he wasn't the best eighth overall selection for me last year. It was just like he was a 14 team and everyone was trotting out pretty rough seven and sixes by the end of the year. So Matt Burton was actually looking pretty good for me, even though he did not perform up to that draft slot at all. But I do agree. I think the Bulldogs will be better. I think if he's goal kicking again, you've got to back the talent in there. He's been enormously hyped coming out of that Penrith system. As the same with the Penrith system, they produce dudes who carve. No two questions about it. You look across every team in the comp, there's always Penny Boys. He was one of the most hyped guys out of that system. I think you just put your money there and back in better judges of talent than me. So that's what I that's what I see about Matt Burton. Brian, what about people that you're fading slightly? Who do you fade slightly at five eight this year? Yeah, pretty simple one. It's not there's not heaps of options there, but just Luke Keary. I think the Roosters are going to improve this year. I think they you know they have to improve this year with the you look at their squad. It's just so stacked. The depth is insane. Uh, but yeah, Keary. I think to your boys' point, I think it's Sam Walker's team now, or you know, if it's not now, it's got to be Should soon. Be. So, yeah, I think he loses the keys a little bit there. And then I just, look, it's a really hard thing to quantify, but just that mental effect of the repeated concussions and how that can create some hesitancy into contact. I just don't think, and it can be obviously a multitude of things. Players go in and out of form throughout their career. Like that that can be a non-injury related, a non-concussion related thing. But, yeah, I just wonder whether the concussions have taken a little bit of zip or, a, a, like, that little bit of ability out of Kiri when it comes to particularly that attacking side of things. Because he just isn't. Like, if you go back, he just was, if not the best half in the comp, pretty close to it. And, yeah, he just... He's probably had a couple of seasons now where he hasn't been too bad injury-wise. I think he's had one concussion, uh, not last year, the year before. But apart from that, he's had a pretty... 
Good run, few blows to the jaw here and there, but nothing that caused him to miss extended time. And yeah, he's just not there anymore. So yeah, ho- like hopefully um, he proves me wrong. But yeah, he's um, he's someone who I just yeah I, I would stay away from. I wouldn't be drafting uh, at all, really. What about you, Simo? Uh, yeah, I found this one pretty hard this year, especially from a pure performance point of view. I wouldn't say that there's many five eights that I view as out and out busts this year. I wouldn't have thought. So I kind of took the low hanging fruit for me, and just I'm going to put it down to Jerome Luai. He's just always a dislike for me. Real life fantasy, uh, he's going to the Tigers, so I have got the perfect reason to dislike dislike him this year, and I. I'm going to stick with it. I just, um, he's never been someone I've been about. I know he's in a great team, but he's losing, he's losing his pals there. You know, Crichton's gone. Kikau's obviously gone the year before. New connections all the time. I mean, eventually it's going to affect uh, Luai's fantasy output. So I, I guess the same in grace for him from pure fantasy point of view is that he's not someone that's highly drafted. He's, Definitely more of the Yilka that you settle for as a 5'8", if you completely punt on the position. I think we'll find this year that 5'8's one of the more shallower positions getting around fantasy circles. Obviously, you've got Dylan Brown, Munster, really high up, Cody Walker, just a, a sort of tier slightly down from there. But, um, yeah, finding sort of upside in 5'8 is going to be harder this season. So, um I don't think there's anyone out there that's really targeting Jerome Luai in drafts, but I certainly won't be someone that is um, going that way, even if I am sort of the seventh or eighth person to draft a 5'8 on on draft day. Um, James, yours is probably not so much draft, but more of a a standard point of view on your distance. A little bit more standard, Simo. Yeah, so I've just said Cameron Munster at his current starting price. I just feel like if you're... Trying to suss out six and standard, you probably want to go up to Dylan Brown to kick off or you're going to go back cheaper. I just feel like Munster's sort of awkwardly priced there. Um, and Munster's a funny one, hey? I think he always consistently scores pretty well. When you own him, he never feels like you score that well with him. It's, it's a funny sort of dichotomy with Cam Munster that he sort of – you almost feel like some games as well where he just pumps out like 80 before the half, then the rest of the game he can be in cruise control. He's just one of those funny players that you feel like he should always be – scoring a bit more or giving you those those really big, big, big weeks that like a Nico or a Cleary can give you. Because I don't see a captaincy option there with Munster compared to the two fullbacks you're going to start and the two halfbacks you're going to start. So for that reason, I probably am going to go cheaper to start off in standard. We're going to move forward to the centre wing spot now, Brian. So who are you frothing this year at centre wing? Another buy of the year candidate here. Mate, Let's hear it. I, I know the people have been eagerly awaiting my third by the year since I mentioned that Absolutely. at the start. You know, they've been hanging on, hanging on. They're here after an hour and 17 min- minutes with us. We're going to give them the final of the three. And it's Jacob Kiraz. Like, I don't think, once again, it's a relatively hot take. But I just think when you really look at it, we spoke last week how you can kind of split. He played 18 games last season. He played six before suffering an MCL injury and an elbow hyperextension kind of in there. Uh, Then he had a couple of weeks off for the elbow hyperextension, and then he played a final six games. The first six games, which were his healthy ones, he averaged 80 points per game. In that MCL elbow hyperextension area, it was 43 points per game. And then the final six games, and I think 
like to Simo's point about Dave Fafita, I think that was a really good one in terms of, you know, you look at guys who are playing through injury and you're like, well, if that's their floor, and I know you could argue that his floor is 43 points per game, but he returned way too soon from that MCL injury because the dogs were in all sorts. He did. He was well below 100%. So realistically, he looked okay in those final six games, but he was heading towards discovering that he had a lower back stress fracture. Lower back stress fractures don't come on. It's not something that just happens like that. It's something that builds up over time. So he's probably, you know, slowly over time getting some pain through that back, how much that's limiting him. Every 64 points per game in that time. So I'm kind of like, I feel like 64 points per game is almost like his floor. Like, I, I think... It'd be a tall order to ask him to average 80 again. I think that's probably a bit outside of his realm. But I think 70 to 75 is definitely within his range. I mean, I think the top scoring or top averaging centre wing last year was Jermaine Osako or or uh, Mars Hugh. And I think they're around 76 points per game. So I think he can absolutely average in around that 70 to 75. And I mean, I thought before I read this run sheet, I've got him ranked as a top five CTW, uh, particularly from a draft perspective. But Simo, I'll throw to you in a second because you've gone even uh, even scorchier than that. I'll quickly run through my other ones. Uh, Campbell Graham, look, he played through rank, you know, sternum issues, had, you know, significant treatment over the off-season. He averaged 76 until missing a month late in the season, and that was when the sternum just got too painful. And then on return, he averaged 51 per game after coming back from that. So he obviously just wasn't right. So once again, we talk about that 76. He was equivalent of the top averaging CTW until that sternum, and that was playing through a sternum injury. So I think his value more comes down to like, you know, now Jack Whiten's going to be on that left-hand side. Does Trell just keep going that way over and over again? But yeah, I think from an injury perspective, uh, Campbell Graham. And then my last one, uh, Taylor May. I, I like. I'm a big believer in, I think it's more, it's probably something I haven't spoken about a lot on the pod before, but you two being big NFL fans too, a lot of what I see the uh, injury analysts sort of talking about those NFL guys, and I completely agree, is guys coming back from these ACL injuries, you put certain rules on certain players, but when there's that worldy sort of athletic player who's got all those measurables that you like, so we talk about Adrian Peterson, Saquon Barkley, you know, we had uh, Brees Hall this year from the Jets. Like these kind of guys who are just, who are really athletic and, and, and really accomplished in that area, they tend to just bounce back a little bit easier with the increase in technology and, you know, sports science and all that kind of stuff from ACLs. And so someone like Taylor May, He's suffered the ACL injury really early on last season. So he was pretty much cleared for full training right in that early off season. So he's had the full off season to get right. Uh, he's then he's a specimen, like he's a really good player in real life, and, and and he's got those measurables. He's got insane speed. He's got good agility, tackle busting, you know, all that kind of stuff. So yeah, I'm just uh, I'm pretty bullish on Taylor May. I, I'm happy to sort of you know draft him. I could easily see a sixty plus average for him, especially playing in that Panthers backline. So I'm not shying away from him 
provided that he gets a spot, and I think all reports are that he will, if he's named round one, and I mean, obviously, if you're drafting before round one, but I'm happy to I'm happy to take the plunge on him and expect a 60-plus average. Uh, Simo, what do you got in the CTW? And hit me with your hot Kiraz take, because once again, mate, we're on the same page, and this is getting good for me. Yeah, I was actually shocked when you and I both um, submitted these and we had Kiraz as our like. And I felt good having you have him as yours based on the injury from last year because just as a as a watcher of rugby league, seeing him out there on the field late last year, it was really hard to watch the way that he was still playing with that knee. Uh, it looked like a lame duck, to be honest, and was still pumping out super coach scores. And I've gone really aggressive on him. I've currently got him um, as my second CTW, which is extremely high. I probably will um, sort of review that a little bit. I might knock him down a couple of spots once I dig deep into the stats. But what really sold me on Kiraz as a supercoach option is just his base power. So he's just his hit-ups, offloads, tackle busts is what his base power is for those that aren't aware. Uh, there were games last year, especially early on, where his base power was 88. He had a 62, a 65, a 72, and a 65, which for a CTW to have that sort of, I guess, base, because uh, you can sort of bank on the power a little bit more in these sort of CTWs because they're one-on-one a lot more than front rowers and second rowers are. Um, to have that, if he scores one try, you're looking at a guy who's getting 90-plus with one try. And I love CTWs like that. They are pure gold. You sort of had um, the, the Nofaluma style, the Mansour style when he was in his prime. There was that one year of Isan Masters where he was just basing Unreal. They're always attractive options, CTWs that can do this. And for that reason, he's... Yeah, he's currently top two, but it'll probably end up being maybe third or fourth um, once it's all said and done. So I probably will push Joey Manu up above him at, at the end of the day. But the fact that I've got him there at the moment just sort of speaks volumes to sort of how I view him as a Supercoach player. I, I firmly believe he's a top 30 option in Supercoach. It's always hard to take a CTW that high, but uh, I just rate the talent. I, I love what I see from, from Kiraz in terms of both athletic ability, um, he can score off the high ball, he can offload, he can tackle bust. He's just got a really rangy style, which is just amazing for fantasy. So um, he's a big one for mine as sort of a bounce, not so much a bounce back candidate, but someone that ended the season poorly that is going to be better than what he showed. Um, and like you said with the injury there, Brian, has probably got a lot to do with that. Um as for someone later on in the CTW list, I feel like based off of last year um, with Azarko, I probably should go somewhere a little bit further down rather than just saying, look, a gun's a gun, so go and get that. But um, this guy I had uh, as a breakout last year and did break out a lot towards the end when Travojevic went down, but I think he's just going to get better and better, and that's Tolu Kola uh, from Manly. I was so, well, I guess angry in some regards, but it was sort of bittersweet when he pumped out that 170 or 150 or whatever it was 
in like round 26 last year when it basically meant nothing and DCE went massive and Kohler just killed it at fullback and, and I was just like, God damn it, that is just going to sink his, um, his, I guess, value in some ways because people are going to be all over him this year. Um, I was all over the kid last year and I just think when Tom Travojevic is back, we have not seen what Tolu Kohler could be as an NRL player. He's, he's had a couple of years now to grow into his body and learn how to use his speed, which we all know he has an abundance of. So if he can play a season with Tom Travojevic there inside him or outside him, um, the sky's the limit for Tolu Kohler and he's someone I'd be wanting to try and target um, just about in every league as a second or third CT dub. If, if he's my third CT dub, I am loving my draft at the moment. Like he's someone who I think is going to go sort of be ranked in the 20 to 30 range. So if I'm getting him at that value, I think that's awesome. All about him. Um, what about you there, James? What's your CTW froth this year? We're all frothing on the Manly Seagulls there, Simon. So I'm going to follow suit here and I'm going to have a deep rant here, boys. So put your tinfoil hats on and get ready to lock yourself in because I've got some some good content here for the Magic Sponge. I think the listeners are going to be red hot on this this year. I think this could be as good as the Asako prediction. It's a big call, but I'm going to go with it. I'm going to put the pressure on myself. First one's Ben Feroyevich. We've talked about him before. If he gets left edge, he's straight in center wing. Um, but the other one who's deeper is Tommy Talao. Now, people are going to roll their eyes and they're going to see Tommy Talao, he's never done anything in Supercoach, no good, not worth selection, he's basement price for a reason, blah, blah, blah. What caught my eye on social media, Simon Bryan? We saw a very soft launch of Tommy Talao and Jess Sergis. And what I mean by soft launch was there's not photos together. We're talking like there's 10 photos and they're about four or five each deep. Jess has posted one, Tommy's posted one. Things look like they're pretty good on the home front there. So that's a big tick for Tommy Talao and a good little soft launch. If we wanted to use racing terminology here, let's let's sort of spell this out. Like for those who don't know Jess Surges, Jess Surges is group one. Like without a shadow of a doubt, it's international class, it's world equality, it's arguably the best player in the NRLW. If we're talking racing terminology as well for Tommy, he's come from bloodlines. Dad was an NRL player. We're talking, he's come off a good spell. He had an ACL in 2022 <laughs> and he got injured last year, so he's well-rested, so he's ready for a good run. He looks the business. He's hot. He's got a good rig. So let's let's sort of line these things up together and let's make a bull case now for Tommy Talao for Supercoach. So, like I said, two years removed from ACL surgery. Brian, that's a big tick. Would you agree? Absolutely. He's got out of the Tigers, another big tick. That's sensational news for Tommy Talao in any sense of the world. I guess from a competition point of view at the Manly Seagulls, this is where it gets a bit interesting because I think Saab, Garrick, Tolokola are locked in. The other spot there is maybe up for grabs. Like I know Brad Parker's been there. He's been solid. He signed a two-year contract extension after Talao signed his contract there last year. Brad so Parker said really... he's playing second row. He's playing second row this year. Okay. Things are, things are coming up. Millhouse here on the Magic Sponge for the James. I'm going, to keep, I'm going to keep cooking here, boys, Damien Cook. Um, so I don't see that as a big endorsement for Brad Parker holding him down the centre spot. He, he might even be looking at second row spot, as Brian just alluded to there. So that's even better. Here's another good one. So get, get deep in your conspiracy rabbit hole with this. Guess who is Tommy Talao's player manager? Isaac Moses. <laughs> who does Isaac Moses manage? 
Anthony Seabold, yes, to those playing at home. So he's got the same player manager as Anthony Seabold, who we know has had a propensity to play Isaac Moses' managed players in his stint at the Broncos. Think about that. So the last thing that I want to leave people with, just to marinate and let it well over, and I, I think I've already sold a very good case here at the moment, but think about this. You've got Jess Sergis, one of the biggest alpha NRLW players in the competition. Do you think she's going to soft launch a relationship with a reserve grader? Absolutely not. She's going to be launching with an NRL starter who's going to have his best super coach season on record. And I cannot fathom how people could not be more in love with the selection of Tommy Talao in their fantasy super coach rosters as it stands at the moment. So use your brains on this, guys. Like, get your galaxy brain out. Use the meme. Get Tommy Talao on your team. This is pending Team List Tuesday, so don't hold it against me. But I feel like I've got a fairly compelling argument here for Tommy Talao. It's a bull case. It's very vibey based. I don't like going too heavy in the Seagulls, but we know there's a lot there lining up for Tommy Talao. I don't see how you can say no after the case I've just built there. Brian, would you agree? Would you agree that Tommy Talao is the buy of the season? Mate, all I'll say is that we listened to Simo selling Jermaine Asako last year at the start of this podcast, and it didn't hold a shade to what you just presented to us. Like, I, I don't see how you could go any other way other than I like I should jump on my phone right now and get Tommy Talao in there. You actually, I think the strongest point in all seriousness, I think the Isaac Moses thing is absolutely uh, like, yeah, that is rock solid because that is yeah, a yeah. well-known thing. So I think, uh, yeah, I think you make a good point. I think it's going to be hard because he's like, we've seen this Garrick, you know, supposed to play center, which I think is dumb and like spoiler alert, Garrick's one of my CTW fades. But, uh, yeah, I think it, it just provided he can get a spot. If he gets a spot, I totally agree. I think it's a great pick. And the second season after an ACL, good good gear. Simon, would you say, if you're Jess Sergis, that you're going to date a reserve grader, though? I think that's the biggest compelling thing here, Brian. Like, you're, you're Jess Sergis, like NRLW gun. She's going to date a reserve grader. Tell me, tell me, tell me what you think about that. I don't think she's going to date a reserve grader. She's got, she's got yeah. plenty going her way, Jess. I think she could, she could name her price, and she'd be, she'd have a lot of suitors for her, wouldn't she say? I would say you'd be one hundred percent right. I think there'd be a yeah. few out there. Um, she definitely would be wanting to get a first grader because I feel Zach Lomax was has also probably got a big year coming up this year. So you probably want to go tip for tat and and make sure that you don't miss. On your on your dart throw there, so I like what you're saying here, James. There's there's real credence in what you're going with. I'm all about. What it. you're telling us, you're telling us that Jess Sergis has picked a sleeper. She's picked like a an up and one hundred percent. I yeah, and you're, and you're happy to trust Jess Sergis's judgment. Absolutely. Yep. I, absolutely. Like I'm like, like, I'm I, like that. and look at Jess's track record. Like, where's Sky Blue? She's a gun. Plays for Australia. Also a gun. What comes for the Roosters? She's a gun. Jess knows what she's doing, Brian. Don't. <laughs> Overthink this one, guys. Like, trust Jess Sergis. She's a jet. We pick her in the Bundy mixer every week because she's a gun. She's not going to date a dud reserve grader. She's going to date this breakout super coach phenom, Tommy Talao, whose father was also an exceptionally handy football player as well, who's just been a bit unlucky with injury, a bit unlucky with opportunity. He's got a good player manager. The stars are aligning. I think we can just lock this in and put it in lights, Brian. 
That's what I truly, truly believe. So enough about that. I think I've really sold a good case there for Tommy Talao. Who do you slightly fade this year, Brian? I'll, I'll get off my little rant there because I could go on and on about this. It may not eventuate, but I think I've, I've made a pretty good argument. Who, who, who don't you like, though? Mate, uh, pretty simple ones here. Ruben Garrick, Nick Meany, both due to play centres this year. I think, um, look, we've seen someone like Val Holmes go to the centres from like a fullback or a wing spot and perform well. I just think Val's probably in that next level up in terms of eliteness, uh, being a you know uh, the standard of player that he is. I know Garrick scored one of his top scores, I think, in the centres last year, but if my memory serves me... Right, that was against like a horrible Finn side potentially or like, you know, they put up a score on someone. So, yeah, I just don't see Garrick doing better. Like that left wing for Manly when Tommy Turbo is playing or at fullback when Tommy Turbo isn't playing. I just can't see how you score more at centre than when you're in those two spots. And then Nick Meany, I think, yes, the centres, but also uh, I'll talk about Paps in a second in the fullback. But I, I, like I see... Uh, absolutely can see a situation where Paps goal kicks. So, uh, yeah, they're my two fades. I think, yeah, we can be pretty quick with these ones. What about you, Simo? Yeah, mine's probably a a bit of an obvious one. I mean, DWZ averaged 70 last year and was arguably like a top three CTW, sometimes even top two CTW at stages throughout the year. He just scored a gazillion tries last season, which, based on his his career to this point, uh, it was a massive outlier season for DWZ last year. So I think he'll regress. A fair, like even five tries will be enough to drop him back. But I, I can honestly see him seeing his average drop ten to twelve points and get back to sort of 50, 57, 58, which is a, a big drop from the seventy that he had this year just gone. So. He's an easy fade for me uh, in the CT dubs, sort of ranked in the top 10, I suppose. Well, should be based on last year, but I wouldn't want to be drafting at that, at that anyway. Um, what's yours there, James? Your dislike in the CT dub? Yeah, two guys coming back from a layoff. So I've gone Bronson Zeri and Roger Tuvashek. I just want to see it before I take the plunge with these guys. Like the only case I could make for these guys in standard would be their price points. I think Bronson Zeri is pretty cheaply priced. Roger's not super expensive as well, but we've just seen so many guys come back from layoffs, whether it's Stinson Rugby Union, Stinson Other Codes, um, you know, even Blake Tom back from like Mormon Missions as well. Like just that time away from NRL, they just never really return at the same level that they left. So for that reason, I'm just out on those two guys as it stands right now. The only way I get sort of lent into it is with their price points and I might have to sort of lean that way to sort of make it work, but I wouldn't be super duper happy about it, to be honest. We'll move forward to fullback, Brian. Who are you frothing this year at fullback? This is this is the premier spot in Supercoach. There's so many options, so many big old boys in this sort of lineup to choose from. Who do you want to speak to first? Mate, these are... Yeah, it was hard to kind of go and find value here because I think we're all just going for the big dogs. So I, when I clipped up Simo's uh, take from last year, look, I'm not the best with technology sometimes and it took me quite a while to clip Simo's up. But I also wanted to clip up like that Taylor Swift meme of like, hi, I'm the problem, it's me or something or whatever that is because... I'm the problem, it's me, because I'm back in again on Tom Trebojevic for like the sixth year in a row. Like I just, I, I, I can't quit him. I think um, 
Yeah, like the whole injury, I think the injury trio of yeah, Turbo, Ponga, Paps, like I like them all. I think they're all in good spots. I'll talk sort of more in depth about Turbo. So, look, it's going to be eight months since his surgery to round one 2024. For a, for a recovery that usually takes around three months, you know, uh, fullback isn't super peck reliant when it comes to you know those kind of things. He's not making a crap load of tackles, those kind of things. The re-rupture rate for pecs is usually around three to five percent. So I'm not concerned about the pec side of things. The main concern for Turbo, as it is year on year, is that hamstring strain injury risk that still exists. It obviously it's going to be 12 months since he suffered a hamstring strain, which is great for his prospects, but. He's had so many hamstring injuries, so there is that you know likelihood of neuromuscular deficits, scar tissue, that kind of thing. So it does still leave him at an increased risk. So I'm not saying this is without risk. Uh, another one, uh, I'll keep talking about the negatives before I get to the positives, or I did speak about a positive before, but the management of Turbo's ailments last year. Uh, James, you and I were on this podcast, it felt like multiple weeks just being like, why is he being managed this way with that whole hip pointer, blow back spasms, then he suffered an adductor strain off the back of it, which was just the most obvious compensation compensation injury I think I've ever seen. So like the medical management, I'd like to think that the medical management will improve this year. Like you can't, surely they learn lessons from last season and go, yeah, this season we've got to manage it differently, that kind of things. I have to assume that. And I said last week, you take out that just that three-game stretch. So that three-game stretch where he had back spasm, hip pointer, uh, adductor strain, you take those out and he averaged 97.3 in eight games. And and it's it's one of those years, like I know, James, I think in the league that we the, – the draft, the invitational, like there was a lot of shit talk about Turbo – you know, like not performing well. And I think I had it in a lot of different DMs where it's like, you know, Turbo's not doing well. Like he's still in those games, 98 in eight games. Now, obviously the challenge for him is to stay fit. I get it, uh, definitely. But I think to those worrying about it, the peck isn't an issue. It's it's not something that I consider. He ruptured the other peck, uh, years ago, so it's not like once you have it surgically repaired, it's actually pretty solid. They stitch it in quite well. It's been eight months, so I'm not overly concerned. I just think Turbo's a really good comparison to Kalen and Ponga. Like, their injury risk is relatively similar. Repeated concussions versus repeated hamstring strains. It's been almost 12 months since either of them has suffered an injury that has implications heading into this season, and they both have the average, to av- they both have the potential to average 100 plus when they're, you know, when the situation is right and when they're fit and healthy so yeah i'm the problem it's me i'm in on turbo again sorry about it simo what do you got for me mate i I love it i love it keep going back to the well because you know he was unbelievable 2021 and you know to see the injuries he's copped over the last couple of years just so unlucky it's um just yeah like everything you said just all to do with been on the park with Tommy Turbo and also, you know, the, the guys around him as well, Garrick especially. Um, we will be outlining the Seagulls at Nauseam, so I won't go too much more into it. But, yeah, really like the call on, on Tommy. There's um, 
there's just so many fullbacks you could go with, I feel. I mean, fullbacks, super deep position. We've got so many players in the position that you could easily start at a pinch, especially if you're in a 10-man league with no flex, no flex spot. Um, so getting a big one is and one that's going to perform well is super important. If you get it wrong, you could really um, feel the pinch because it's a position that you, you're probably just not going to be able to make it up um, in other ways, I wouldn't imagine. So for me, um, in my froth this year, I'm, it all comes down to goal kickers for mine. Um, Pong is an obvious one, so I'm not going to go there. But um, I know, James, you're going to sort of speak to um, Trell Mitt in a sec. But I'm going to sort of go um, a different direction and go Pappenhausen here. Um, I just think of guys that can average over 100 and, and just the feel-good story that it would be for him to come back. And I think everyone's rooting for Paps to have a have a really good year. So the fact that he is sort of clearly behind um, Luttrell and Turbo on draft day, Drinkwater he'll be behind based on average as well, I would imagine. Um, some leagues, even Gutho, he might even be behind based on average. So if you're getting Pappenhausen, what's that, seventh at this position, I think there's amazing room to grow with him. Just like Turbo, I mean, it all comes down to being on the on the paddock. It's no secret that Pappenhausen's been through so much over the last couple of years. But um, it would just be such a good feeling if you had him in your, in your side to see him ripping and tearing again, kicking goals for the Melbourne Storm from fullback could average over 100 like he'd shown the propensity to do so three years ago now um, where he was just amazing. So obviously he's got a lot more risk in sort of his his injuries uh, are a lot different than than Turbo and Luttrell. Um, and obviously his frame's built a lot differently. But um, for me, I think the value you can get with Pappenhausen compared to other years, you're getting him at a, at a spot where you can easily come back and get a, a decent backup at a very deep position later on. So for me, he's someone I'd be taking a chance on as a as a flame this year for sure. Um, I guess it's over to you then, James, because I was very close to saying Latrell myself. Um, I think a lot of your sentiments I will agree with, so I'll let you take it away. Yeah, well, probably the, the first thing I want to see, Simo, is just see what it looks like in the charity shield. I just want to see how it's getting across the ground. I want to see what the rig looks like. That's going to be what really sells me on Latrell Mitchell or, or not this year. It was a funny year last year. Like He he was very, very good super coach wise had the calf, and then had that extended time out of it. Turmoil of bunnies, they were flying first, and then it all fell apart, like historically fell apart for them. So it was quite a bizarre season. They've still got the spine intact there. They've got Jack Wyden coming across. I just don't think he can sleep on Latrell Mitchell at fullback. I don't think he's highly rostered as it stands at the moment. I think he's less than 10%, which I think if you're getting Latrell Mitchell as a bit of a point of difference, I think that's a really good thing. I like this with Latrell. He pumps bad teams. That's a really consistent thing you get about Latrell Mitchell. If the Bunnies have got a good matchup, he's just a nearly automatic captain choice, which I just love having when you're trying to find a way or you're trying to get a VC option. Souths get a lot of Thursday, Friday games. I think that's a bit underrated as well. If you can plonk the VC on him and he can go big on a Thursday or Friday night, I think that's a really, really good thing too. I'm not going to make a whole lot of stats to make the case for Latrell because I think we know what we get with Latrell. He's, he's a lead super coach. He's got the upside in him. 
you know, I just hope we see a highly motivated fit Latrell coming into the season. We see the best of him. I just, I just love what he's about. I love watching him play. He's one of my personal favourites. So I've got to be a soft spot there for Latrell. I've got to say, so he's one that I really, really like. I don't think he's getting as much love as some of the other guys in the fullback position. Um, pretty similar to Reese Walsh as well. I think Reese Walsh is um, a little bit different from these other guys as well because he probably doesn't have the same injury profile as a lot of those guys. And Reese Walsh has a lot of try assists he didn't get a lot of tries last year so i think if reese is such a jag a few more meat pies he could even be you know further up there as well so i think reese is a bit unders i think latrell's a bit unders i'd probably as it stands probably go probably in standard especially i'm looking at ponga turbo but i think latrell's just 50 grand cheaper i might lean that way if i need to squeeze someone in at center wing particularly stephen Crichton if he gets fullback so i think if i need to find some cash then Turbo will be the downgrade there for me, whether he goes to Pappenhausen, whether he goes to Latrell, so I can get Stephen Crichton in, for example. That's just a hypothetical. I think that's the way I'll go about it there. So not many stats to back that up. bit more vibey than, than anything else there for that, but I, I like what Latrell's about. I like what he is for super coach purposes. What about fades there, Brian? We're going to wrap up the fullbacks with fades now. Who you got? Yeah, so I think an easy one, AJ Brimson in the centres. Yeah, I just think he's a fullback. I, uh, yeah. Not much more to say on that. Uh, someone who we kind of spoke about a lot in the preseason 2022 uh, was James Sedesco and just those under-the-radar concussion issues. He had another two last season. Yeah, it's nine concussions at least in his career. Look, number of concussions isn't everything, but that's, yeah, it's a lot. I, like, I'd almost go as far to say it's the most in the NRL uh, that I have documented. I think maybe Dal Finucane might be close, but, yeah, it's a lot of concussions. So I'm just worried. Like, last year he was lucky in a sense in that both his concussions he only missed a week afterwards. So that's, like, best-case scenario. I'm just really worried. Uh, like, he's an increased risk of suffering concussion moving forward. And then at some point there's bound to be some questions asked if he does suffer another concussion, does he need an extended timeout? And we know the Roosters are happy to do that. So Teddy's someone who I'm avoiding, especially with all the other options at fullback. I will say on your guys' love about Latrell, I completely agree from a vibe perspective. I think I like, and I just, all the things that you said, James, about beating up on low teams. I do think when I sat down and did Latrell's injury profile, just a few little red flags in around like his conditioning and stuff like that. Like I hated seeing him jumping on that podcast and sort of be like, I wasn't well looked after. And that's why my calf took so long when he's had conditioning issues in the past coming up like over. So it's not like this was just like out of the ordinary. It took like a lot longer than his other issues in the past coming back from injuries. But there's just a few little yellow flags there. As you said, you want to see the rig. You want to see how he's looking. There's just a few little things that I I think Latrell is the... Yeah, as you said, the vibiest player in the NRL. When he's on, he's on. But I just worry about those little conditioning aspects. So we spoke about someone like Schuster being the easiest fade ever. I'm definitely not there with Latrell, but there's just a few yellow flags for Latrell that probably makes me more hesitant to draft him than to 
than to pick him in Classic. Because in Classic, you can kind of easily sell him. But I just worry drafting him quite high that, like, I'd still, I would personally probably, the more I think about it, the more I'd almost draft Turbo over him because I think Turbo has higher upside. And it just probably the conditioning brings Latrell sort of more level to Turbo on that injury front as well. So, yeah, that it's not a massive dislike. I, like, I'm still drafting Latrell very, very high, but I think it's a toss-up between him and Turbo for me at around that, oh, look, I want to say five or six in the first round, I think. Simo, does that sound about where those guys would go? I would think so, yeah. Um, I sort of did a mock uh, top 12 the other day, and... I think um, there was just a run of fullbacks through the middle of the of the draft. It all really comes down to whether you're a captain's league or not, because the the big thing to note here is if you are if you are in a captain's league, Harry Grant should get pushed down the draft board quite a lot. But if you're a non-captain's league, Harry Grant is a bona fide sort of top five or six pick, because that that point of difference at hooker is so big. If um, if you're captains and you're getting double the points, you know Grant hasn't quite got the the big hundreds that you probably want in a captain. So that's why he gets pushed down more in those leagues and pushed up in ones where you don't have captains. But typically speaking, you're probably going to have. Um, well, I guess it's time to sort of plug my Twitter a little bit. But I'm, at the moment, I'm sort of trying to do a poll a day to try and find out to, what, what a mock would look like at the moment. Uh, Cleary and Hines have, have locked themselves in at one and two at the moment. Um, it looks like Ponga's going to win the gong for third overall. So I'd say there's going to be a very big run of Ponga, Walsh, Mitchell, Turbo, Pappenhausen. And then from there, you might see sort of Dylan Brown, Harry Grant start to creep in, maybe drink water because he, he, um, he, he's my dislike drink water as 83 average. But he's a really hard one to peg on where he's going to go in a draft um, just because, yeah, what you were saying there about Turbo and Latrell being mid-first rounders, there's going to be a lot of leagues out there where Drinkwater's going to go really, really high because, I mean, when you look at his stats, middle of the year there's there's hundreds galore to bump him up to that 83. So um, that's what makes fullback so special this year, I think. It's... Gone are the days where it's Turbo and Tedesco and then everyone else is trying to catch up. I feel like this is the year where, I mean, there's no way you can definitively say that um, any of these guys are going to be better than the other. Like Walsh has number one fullback upside. Luttrell has number one fullback upside. Turbo does. Pappenhausen does. Drinkwater basically showed us last year that he does. Um you know, there's there's so many guys there at fullback that have mammoth upside, and um, I think just getting one of these these guys are going to push fullbacks up in general because it doesn't really feel good when you take someone like a Gutho round two as your fullback when people are getting these blue chip premium stud fullbacks in round one because you sort of as much as Gutho had a great year last year, you still got guys who could average 90-plus as opposed to Gutho having a good year and hitting a 75 or a 77 or whatever he was. Like, 
yeah, drafting fullback is is always going to be a currency in draft, um, and also standard as well. Getting that person right from the get go, saving you a a trade or two is crucial in, in many seasons. So, to what you're saying there, Brian, about Latrell, like if you take him fifth overall, and he he breaks down and his body's no good, all these conditioning issues come to the fore you can be guaranteed you'll be kicking yourself because you've passed over potentially Turbo, Drinkwater, Pappenhausen to do so. I mean, same with Turbo. You take him and then it goes wrong, you're going to be regretting it. It's just the game we play. So you have to sort of understand that's just the game, but getting it right, um, look to your crystal ball and hope for the best, really. Nicely summed up there, Simo. I'll just chime in with me at the end. This is a bit more, not really stats-based on this one either, but I just am finding myself with standard setups, not looking to go to Ryan Pappenhausen for some reason. I don't really have any good reasons for this, to be honest. Like He's, he's very reasonably priced. He does have the upside. I just have a bit of pause for concern with the severity of his injuries that he's had. Even though really by the start of the season he should be he should be right, he should be back to sort of close to hundred percent. But I, I just wonder whether we've seen his apex and um whether there might be someone, albeit highly highly priced or higher priced than Ryan Pappenhausen starts off, that I just want to have in my team a little bit more there. Not not really a strong one there, so I don't I don't really um I can understand people don't really want to get behind me on that one, but I, I just I, am a little, I bit, you, a little bit hesitant. Sorry. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt on you there, James. Um, yeah. Just, I'd love to know your thoughts on, as a Broncos man, where you have Reese Walsh going in a draft uh, or your general thoughts on him as a player because, um, like, you really just sort of got me onto something there, what you said about players reaching their apex. And I feel like Ponger and Walsh especially, young up-and-coming studs who had great years last year, like, Correct me if you feel differently, but I feel as though Ponga and Walsh have sort of solidified themselves as like the top two fullbacks this year in draft. And then it's sort of that other tier of the Latrell Turbo, Drinkwater, Pappenhausen level that we've touched on. Um, Do you feel the same on Walsh or where are you at with him in terms of both? Yeah, I have him at two personally. I would be happy to go Ponga at one and Walsh at two. I think iron sharpens iron with those two as well. Like it's so competitive for that Queensland Origin jersey. I think what we saw out of Reese Walsh exceeded everyone's expectations at Origin level. He was very good in the final series. He does have very in his game, no question. But it doesn't really hurt you too bad in Supercoach. You know, like we we sort of I, I personally sort of love those guys who throw it around re- fairly recklessly. I think Reese has got you know age on his side. He's got he, him and Ponga just have supreme ball playing ability as well, which I don't think too many other fullbacks outside of drink water probably have and even then i still think they've got a level on drink water and i think that's very underrated i think just his all-round game his team that he's in i don't think you can really knock reese walsh on anything really whereas all the other fullbacks come with a question mark of some description however you want to cut it but i don't think you have the same thing with reese um even compared to callum pong i think callum pong's just got this bullshit ceiling that you just otherwise cannot hit i think he's the only guy in that ceiling realm with Nico and Cleary, I think Reese is just a tier behind it. So he'd be my fourth overall player personally. Um, I could understand if you took a different fullback over the top of him, but that would just be my opinion where I stand. Brian, what about you? Would you be as high on Reese as that? 
Yeah, no, I like I probably haven't sat down and done. That's why I kind of said, "Oh, to Simo, do you think fifth or sixth? I, I probably haven't sat down and gone through it. But I, yeah, I, look, I have him up there. If not fourth, I wouldn't say any lower than sixth. So I think, yeah, he's definitely in that range. I think it's a clear top three for me in the two halfbacks and Ponga, and then it's a mix of you know, any of those fullback options. But I think the fact that Walsh doesn't come with those injury concerns would almost, yeah, lock him in as that fourth spot. What I thought was really interesting, boys, is in the vo- in the poll for first overall, the options were obviously Cleary, Hines, Ponga and Walsh. And Cleary and Hines run away with 40, 47 and 43% of the vote or something. So he absolutely run away with it. But... Out of 100 votes, there was not one vote for Reese Walsh to go first overall, which was interesting. Ponga, Ponga had, I think, whatever the remaining percentage was. Um, but, yeah, to not have one person vote for Reese Walsh out of 100, I thought, surely there's one complete Reese Walsh fanboy that would say, look, Reece Walsh, this guy's on. first. <laughs> I thought you'd be it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So in- interesting yeah. that... Um, it seems as though Walsh will settle in as um, the fourth overall pick. Yeah, and I think you, you just pick your poison at that position. Oh, but I, I think personally, I think there's there's not a lot of knocks on Reese at that point. I, I don't think, and um, you know, I think just in the in the team he's in as well, it's so settled. His his role so defined. He's you know just just his performances in Origin as well just give me just real um, confidence that he'll 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 do very very well in in a, in a team this year. You know if you're keeping Kalen Ponger out of the Queensland Maroons jersey, you're doing something right because you know we we saw the season that he had last year. He was the the incumbent as well. If Billy Walsh, sorry, if Billy Slater sees something in you, then you probably made a pretty good stuff, much like Jess Serge's season in Tommy Slough. Let's wrap that all that up, boys. We've done very well to get through all that. So the last thing we're going to do for this evening is talk through the Patreon questions there, Brian. So as we always mentioned, patreon.com forward slash NRL Physio. If you want to get the content, get the in-depth answers to your questions into Brian there. It's five bucks a month. Get around. It costs you less than a coffee. So question number one for you, Brian, is... Of particular interest is about Jason Tomalolo. How hampered was he last year by injury? And is he someone that might bounce back from a super coach point of view? What do you reckon? Yeah, I'll just say to any of the patrons, look, we'll run through these pretty quickly because we've been here for two hours now. But all of these players, if you, they're all going to be covered really in depth in those uh, injury profiles. So if you need uh, more in-depth stuff, it's going to be there. Tomalolo is a really interesting one because I sat down to to do his, and I was like, yep, he had that meniscus injury that's responsible for his downturn because I think he averaged like in the 40s. Like it was absolute trash last year. But he almost averaged better before, like when he was dealing with it before the surgery because he, he, he played through it for about four or five weeks and averaged, I think, somewhere in the high 40s, early 50s. He then had the surgery and took longer than expected. Now, whether that was because he, uh, you know, whether that was because he was struggling in rehab or because he uh, just took extra time to kind of come back, we, we didn't really find out. 
But he comes back, he knocks out a 69 point, just like played absolutely epic. And I was just like, this is fantastic. But then he went on to score 45 for the rest of the season. His minutes and average were way down. So, yeah, like it's a really weird one. I'm not sure whether we can rely on uh, that being injury related as such. Uh, so yeah, I, I don't know, Simo, where are you with Tamalola? I assume we just, you'd probably just leave him alone on draft day. Yeah, typically I would be inclined to leave him alone, but the fact that he's got front row duel probably means he'll, he's a decent chance to be drafted in in a lot of leagues. So, um, I would be taking a, a, a flyer on him just because why wouldn't you? The fact that if he, if he pays off playing at front row, um, like I touched on earlier, front row is very top-heavy and shallow. So if you can get someone like him bounce back a bit, he might turn into a decent sort of back-end front-row starter, sort of in the 12 to 15-ish range would probably be his ceiling at this point in his career. But, um, yeah, I wouldn't say he's a don't draft. He's someone you could look at and um, see what happens um, with with Tamalolo. Um, we've got the next one there, James. Um, well, I can take it away if you want. We've got... Um, yeah, you can take it away. Yeah, we'll go for it. RFM seemed to look like he was in the world of hurt last year there, Brian. Uh, what do you see for him this season? Yeah, I, look, I didn't think that was overly injury-related. I think we're all pretty on board with, you know, what happened with RFM last year. I mean, we've been on this podcast sort of saying that I think he's been... You know, I, I think the fact that his attitude has been questioned and all that kind of stuff, I think for a guy who fought through the injury concerns he did, I just have some questions about blindly putting faith in, um, you know, in the other people within the club without, you know, just tossing Ray to the side. So, yeah, look, I, I think going to the Dragons, you question how much upside there is there to RFM, but... Uh, yeah, look, I, like he's not someone who I'm chasing after. I love Ray. Like I, I've drafted him many times in the past, but you just going to a new club. I just don't know what his role is going to be. It's not a physical concern. I'm not over overly, you know, worried about his injury history or anything like that. It's more just yeah, going to the Dragons and not knowing his role, and then the upside. I just don't know if it's there in a side like the Dragons. Could be interesting, Brian. Just on that point, like if. Because that was starting Ben Murdoch and Silla there on an edge last year. I like surely Ray Fatal Mariner is a better star than Ben Murdoch and Silla on an edge. Like I, I just wonder if he sort of gets a few more minutes there. Jack Bird might be in centres. Might be someone that come team list might might be worth a shake. I don't know. Yeah, for super coach purposes, I'd really love to see Dan Russell get the spot. The fact that he's got CTW dual, I think, at this point in their careers, I mean. Far if him gets the spot, there's probably nothing to see there. But Dan Russell, if he gets the gig and ends up playing decent minutes on an edge, he's what we haven't seen before. So he's a, he's the unknown and could be worth a punt, both classic and and draft. Good stuff, Simo. Trappings for the eyes potentially. Next question, Brian, is about both Fermor. Do you think he's got any concerns coming back from his ACL injury? Yeah, look, pretty similar to Taylor May. I think he suffered the ACL injury pretty early on in the year. So coming back from that, he he would have been declared fit 
early in the preseason. He's had the full preseason to kind of come or to build his performance, those kind of things. There is one big main difference. I'll tease the injury profiles a little bit and say go and read the injury profiles because there's one big difference between Bo Firma and um, and uh, Taylor May that I didn't mention. Uh, I won't mention here, but I mentioned the injury profiles just in terms of injury risk. But yeah, I'll, look, I still think I'm expecting like a 55 to 60 plus average from him. Uh, I just jogged my memory actually, and we talk about like conspiracies and stuff like that. I got on the uh, the you know fading Jaden Braley early in the pod, and I hate, as you guys know, the the whole like. Uh, super coach DM rumor situation that I seem to get into all the time. But when I do like it is when it confirms my biases. And I've had a whole bunch of uh, DMs lately about apparently Jaden Braley wasn't at the night's like fan day because he's dealing with a hamstring injury. So that just... Look, I, I, it's probably not believable, but uh, once again, it confirms my bias that I'm happy to avoid Jaden Braley early in the season. So then I'm going to listen to DMs. So if Jaden Braley ends up with a hamstring injury, you heard it here first via the crazy uh, DMs that I get all the time. But guys, I just have a few questions for you two, actually. I'm on the podcast with the two smartest super coach minds that I know, and especially when it comes to draft. So I've got a few draft questions, uh, particularly around dynasty. I haven't been – I'm in plenty of dynasty leagues for NFL. So for those who don't know, a dynasty league is where you draft and then you keep that side in perpetuity. So the next year you draft, it might be like a two or three round draft. So you only have a cup because you're just drafting the newer guys or the rookies and that kind of thing. So it's it's pretty new in in terms of NRL super coach standpoint. But last year I had a dynasty draft and I went heavy with youth. Really, really heavy. And I also picked Ponga and Walsh in my first, like, three or four rounds because Ponga was 5'8 eligible last year. So it was just gold for me, right? So I could play both of them, which is great. But now I think this year it's looking like they're both going to be fullback eligible because uh, Adam O'Brien has woken up to himself and played Ponga where he should have been playing the entire time. So my question to you guys is who would you who would you rather keep out of those two? In the understanding that this is a dynasty league, so this is like moving forward, I'm going to keep this guy for as long as possible. And what kind of price would you be looking for him? Like I, I said to you guys when I uh, told you I was going to ask this question, like how, what type of price do you look for for Kalen Ponga at the moment with the way he's going? Like that's just – I feel like it's pretty astronomical. I've got a pretty young team, but I feel like with uh, the right trade, I could be competitive pretty quickly. So, yeah, I mean, I'll throw to you, Simo, first as our draft expert. Like wh- who would you prefer to keep moving forward? Forward, year on year out of Ponga and Walsh and what am I looking for for the other guy that I trade well I mean first of all mate congratulations because that is just an unreal situation to be in you must have been dirty though when Ponga lost the 5-8 because otherwise it was, would have been gold um, I guess before I answer your question there's so many things to unpack with Dynasty especially in your particular league where a lot of people would say you know, why don't you just AE people if you do AEs in your league? Like in Dynasty, because you keep the team year on year, 
you can't really AE because you, your bench, you need to keep them. You can't just drop your whole bench like you would in a normal league and take zeros on your bench to get Ponga or Walsh's score in your 5-8 spot, for example, which would be an option for you if that was the case. But Dynasty makes it impossible to do that. So AE is off the table. Secondly, with Dynasty Leagues and sort of my history with Dynasty is every time you see Dynasty trades and you look back on it in three, four, even five years, very, very rarely do you look back on the trade and go, wow, that was a fair trade four four or five years later. The trade always looks so lopsided in three or four years because things change so quick. Um, Like... I think I did one dynasty a few years ago in NRL and I took Bryce Cartwright um, really late and look how quickly things can change. Like he was the hottest commodity getting around. So, um, yeah, dynasty leagues are completely different and the way you factor in values and everything is skewed a lot. And a a lot of it for at least how good dynasty leagues should play it is youth definitely matters. And, the answer for my question is that if I was you, the fact that Walsh is 21 and Ponga is 25 means that I'm selling Ponga for what I can get. And the very first thing I'd be looking at if I was you is can I try and get somehow, if this is an option for me or not, what am I going to have to do to get Dylan Brown and something else? would be what I'm looking at because obviously you're probably going to need 5.8. Dylan Brown's not going to come cheap, but you've got one of those rare players in Ponga who look, there's not many players in Dynasty I'd be giving Dylan Brown plus something to go and get. Uh, Ponga, if you come to me and said I want Ponga for Dylan Brown straight up, like the fact that Dylan Brown's I think 23, like I think they're pretty comparable Dynasty-wise, but Man, if you can get Dylan Brown and something for Ponga, that's the first place I'd be looking. James, what do you that's got? Very similar, yeah, very similar to Simo, actually. I've got the Broncos jersey on, so I'm keeping the Bronco for one. So I'm not moving off Reese Walsh, that's for sure. I would probably say Dylan Brown or the other one would be Harry Grant. I think, like, you know, Harry's not young, young, but he's still got many, many, many good years left at nine. We see how long... Really good nines are relevant for as well. You know, Robbie Farrell was relevant for years. Cameron Smith was relevant for years. You know, his big votes are probably a bit of a different expect, um, bit of an exception to the rule there. But also, Damien Cook has been very relevant for many, many, many years. I think you've got Blake Braley in your team, so that might not really be a position of need as such. But even um, I could, I was thinking, even as you're saying that, like I could package up Ponga and Braley so that the person sure. giving me a Harry Grant isn't then stuffed at hooker. Yeah you know, and try and go like Harry Grant plus something as well. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it doesn't just have to be that one for one or even like a one for two. Yeah, I think that would be something worth considering just, just with Harry, just how much better is it everything else at that spot. Like that's a nice thing to have. I do like the Dylan Brown call though, Simo. I think that would be one of the the few players there. I just don't think I could really get behind like a Fafita type trade. I, I think – you see it so quickly with particularly middle forwards and edge forwards. Um, the apex happens, but it, it can fall off really, really quickly, whereas yet your gun halves are the ones who hold their value for longer. Your gun fullbacks are the one that holds their value for longer. 
you know, you've got two of the best in the business at the moment. I think you've got Reese Walsh for four years younger than Kalen Ponger. I think that's a massive get. And the Broncos look very well set up for success in the future. If they had a better head coach, they might. Like, they'd probably a bit more bullish even. He'll kick goals uh, when Reynolds leaves too. That's the thing. Yeah, do you think like, Tony will? That's probably the only other one because Tony hits him pretty well. True, true. Yeah. I, anyway. I would be betting that Walsh should be kicking goals for the Broncos in four years' time. I'd, I'd be pretty confident. Yeah, no. yeah, and and Callan's not a guarantee either with the kicking boots. Like he's he's got it at the moment, but you know historically, I don't know what he he strikes him at, but I don't think he's got like a you know untouchable strike rate with with the boots from memory. I'm not sure. I just think the the concussion side of things too. Like you know, Callan is yeah. a ticking time bomb in that respect so i was definitely leaning towards keeping walsh so uh yeah boys and then in the same league i tanked hard like i think i was on record on this pod saying that i think the boys didn't put into place any rules about (laughs) whether you could tank or not so once i kind of you know kalen was out for a while with the concussion and i drafted heavily heavily for youth so I kind of went, right, I'm not going to do well this year. It was uh, number one. It was like, obviously, if you come last, you get that first pick. But then also every week I got first waiver because I was coming last as well. So it was just like... Like Judas. Yeah, so I Very was good. just... I was a real bad bloke and I just tanked the shit out of that season. So I do have the first pick. I think it's a bit hard to see on the Supercoach side at the moment, but I did come last last year, so I should have first pick. Who would you boys pick out of Sua Falongo, so the young, you know, up-and-coming fullback, or RTS is obviously in the player pool as well. You've got a big mix there. As I said, I could be in contention. Sua Falongo or RTS, who are you going, Simo? I think if you just stopped at Sua Falongo, I would have – I could have stopped you there. I don't even – I can't even think of a, a younger player that would be available that I'd rather have than him. Uh, I mean, I, RTS is probably better for your team right now and, and team need. But, you know, one of the big things in Dynasty, mate, is you just you never draft solely for team need because you, you just take the best player available because you're always going to be able to trade that player for more than what you're probably going to take anyway. So, yeah, taking RTS because you could play him sooner would be the wrong thing to do, um, in my opinion. I'm a huge RTS fan, have been for years. So for me to say, uh, to go against that, especially in Dynasty, I mean, mean, how many more years has RTS got left in the NRL? Like, it's hard to tell. So it'd be sewer far long out for me easily. What about you, James? James? Length of the street stuff for me as well, sewer far long out, you know. He's, he's got some brilliance in him. And whether that's at the Storm or somewhere else, I think he's going to be someone who makes a lot of noise in NRL level, no doubt about it. Nice. And then last question, uh, we've been here a while, but uh, I've got four leagues, four draft leagues that have been confirmed already, and three of them I have already found out my draft pick in terms of like I get to pick where I draft. So in one league, I'm third, one league, I'm fourth, and one league, I'm first. So my question to you boys is, like usually say you get, you know, your first preference. I guess the the usual thing is just go first pick. You know, for first preference, yeah, I want to be first pick. But I think this year... 
there's a little bit of, you know, it could go a few different ways. So let's say you boys have got the first pick or the first preference of where you pick. Where do you want to pick this year? Simo, hit me. I would want to pick, uh, in a vacuum, I'd want to pick second. Would be the easy one, I think. It's, um, I, I think most years you're probably going to want to do that, but Cleary or Hines, you don't care which one. You have the earlier pick in round two, so you can have your choice of, of any value that falls. If there's a, a guy that you've got like a first-round grade on that falls all the way back to your next pick, if you, I know if I picked first and a player fell all that way and then second overall, snavelled them up, especially the fact that you've both got halfbacks, so you're both going to be looking for a fullback in round two. If um, yeah, if I chose one and then I lost the fullback that was falling, it'd be really quite quite dirty. So um, I would say two in a vacuum, but this would definitely be one of those years where I could really consider picking later in the draft because. Um, there's a lot of those fullbacks that we said I think are very similar. I probably wouldn't want to pick fourth early. Like I wouldn't choose fourth early on. I'd, it, um, obviously, it wouldn't be one of my last choices, but I, for me personally, I don't see Walsh as a big difference compared to Latrell, Turbo, etc. whereas I see Ponga as a big difference. So I'd be happy to take one of the top three and get the two halfbacks and Ponga. Other than that, I'm probably okay picking later because I don't hate the thought of Tino or Haas. I think having a 70-point player at front row is uh, is a big difference maker. It's almost like having a tight end for those who play fantasy. You've got a Gronk or a Kelsey. Having Tino or Payne Haas at front row who can score 70s uh, I'm happy to pick later in the draft and get one of those guys, which is rare for me. I'm usually a front row. I usually never take front rows in the first two rounds, but this year I'd consider it. James, what do you got? Yeah, I'd be looking top two as well. I think just year in, year out, you see it in NRL. Like the, the top two guys are just so much more valuable, especially when you add in the two, three swing. Like you can just get in and absolutely pillage teams on the two, three swing if you pick well there. Particularly if you can feel out spine spots, I think there's there's a lot of cases sometimes you can sort of get spine spots to drop there that work in really nicely for your team. And, and always, if you're picking late in NRL, it just feels like you get left, you know, tiers and tiers and tiers below those those top two picks. So I think you pick Cleary, you pick Nico Hines, and you just build it around those guys. They consistently hit big points. They've got 100-point weeks in them, deluxe I don't think you can go wrong with going top two. I don't think you need to overthink it and, and see who you can get back on the swing because you always get someone to fall there at the two, three turn when you're picking that early. Because if you're picking, you know, especially like later in the first and you're getting sort of like later into round three, you, the, the drop-off's quite significant there between like pick 21 and pick 30. Like you just notice such a big difference at NRL level, in my opinion, far more than some of the other fantasy fantasy sports. I think in NFL, you don't see the drop-off as much between sort of one, two and three, but NRL, it's just insane how big the drop-off is. I just always like picking early in NRL, always do. Love it, mate. I think, yeah, I think I'll be doing that unless there's some crazy injuries in the trials. Uh, boys, two hours, 20 minutes. This is by far our longest podcast ever, but one of the most fun. I had a great time last year doing the same thing, and this has been great. 
I'm really looking forward to. We didn't get to do it this year, but I'd love to end of the year. We'll have to try and find some time to come back and do a post-mortem on the season, have a look at our takes and see who had the best and the worst. Hopefully Tommy Talau... Uh, is averaging like 70-plus, and we can look back at James's brilliance. But, uh, Simo, thanks for coming on board. I know it's late Sunday night. Really appreciate it. We've all got young ones. But, uh, yeah, mate, plug your, plug your Twitter and all that kind of stuff. Where can, where can people find you for some draft expertise? Yeah, look, first of all, boys, thanks for having me on. It's talking draft on a Sunday night. It's nothing better. Anything that's keeping me away from going to sleep so I don't have to go to work is just pure gold. So thanks for that. Um, so our podcast is uh, the BDE NRL Supercoach podcast and our Twitter handle is at BDE underscore NRL underscore podcast. So we haven't kicked off yet this year. We're looking at recording Tuesday night. So we'll try and pump out some um, some episodes, some go position by position, strictly draft though. So if you're a classic player, feel free to come and listen. It's just going to be definitely geared towards draft because we've been draft players for sort of god 10 or 12 years maybe even longer um back in the xl days we used to do it so and if you are you know, a, if you are a classic player who hasn't tried draft yet get on it because it's get fantastic. on it yeah. yeah yeah huge absolutely huge thanks simo really appreciate it mate and james as always look you're you're obligated to come on on a sunday night so uh but look once again cooked up some good conspiracy theories mate so you're it's only the preseason, but you're in like origin time form. I feel like. Yeah, I'm in form, mate. Yeah, watch out for this year. We, it's it's one of our segments that gets consistently very good feedback, actually. So I'm going to lean into it a lot more. And you know what? Rugby league's full of conspiracy. You got to lean in there. I, I think there's just gold to be mined in here. I think it's it's enjoyable to talk about. It's enjoyable to listen to. It's rugby league. It's good. Love it, boys. All right. Uh, yeah, we'll uh, we'll be back sort of during the trials to talk about injuries and all that kind of stuff. But uh, thanks for sticking with us. And as always, up the mighty, mighty Redcliffe Dolphins. Suspected broken left fibula. Suffering syndesmosis. After that stem cell injury that he's come back from. That's about it, mate.